The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! James, uh, James, pass me the pass me the plate over there. No. Okay, here, here you go. Yep. No, thank you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Boy, this is good. It, um, yeah, boy, no, what is this? This up. is steak. Yeah. This is. St- you said this is what kind of steak is this? This is the good kind. Oh, yeah. What kind? What kind of steak uh, is this? Yeah. Don't worry mm. about the specific kind yeah. of meat. What is this? No, no, no. Get that off. Garnish, all that so, stuff. We gotta get it off. Just the, just the meat, please. Just to get it off. I put that on there. Hey, can you... i tell you what I'll go with this. Can you pass me, please, the the bowl over there? It looks like... the, the Is the, the bowl of potatoes? Can I have the potatoes, too, please? Sure. Hold on. Part, pardon my boarding house reach. The okay, starch is go. so good. Okay. The butter and the... Oh, and the butter. Oh, the butter. Here's a, here's a trade secret, Paul. It's only butter. <laughs> well, then I'm gonna... As much as I love this, I have to stop this because I am only interested in meat and potatoes tonight. That's all I'm interested in. That's all I want to eat. <laughs> Is that where you're going with this? I was wondering. I was like, only child? No. The prodigal son returns to do his laundry, not eat the out of house and Just home. the meat like, and potatoes. That's all. That's all I want. Just that unknown, Just. delicious, questionable meat. With garnish and just buttery potatoes, and by potatoes, it's just butter. All I want is the meat and potatoes. That's it. That's all I want. You boil them, you mash them, you stick them in a stew, Paul. We're giving you the meat and potatoes tonight because we're back with Help Us Stranger Part 2. This is the Third Men Podcast, your friendly neighborhood podcast about Jack White and Third Man Records. That was almost a smooth introduction. That was very smooth, James. I thought it was smooth. I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. The P-Man himself is here. (laughs) uh, And and we are here 
discussing Help Us Stranger. We left off on the track by track. We finished up Bored and Raised and we're on to the track by track and, and we're just gonna we're gonna get through these the remaining tracks here and deliver the rest of this pod to you fellas. Yeah, the rest and ladies and <laughs> non binary. That was smooth. It was at one point we, and then I lost James it. James lost and, the plot. Um, That's why James just need the meat and potatoes. So I'm just trying to get the meat and potatoes. I'll just pass those potatoes on this way. Uh, we're also going to get, yeah, as James Kaminsky, my co-host, who I don't think introduced himself, mentioned. I don't think so either. I'm James Kaminsky, <laughs> your other co-host. Who had a, a birthday last week. Thank you all for listening to his birthday message. And the, for those of you who contributed to it, that was awful fun. Yeah, it was the best thing that Paul did. And all y'all are the best. Thank you so much. You made my morning commute way brighter. And it, it touched me. It was very nice of y'all, so thank you. I said y'all a lot during that thank you. I think that's how you know it's real. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but no, seriously, it was the best, and Paul, thank you so much. It was super delightful. I had a smile on my face the entire time. I listened to it like three or four times. It was the best. I loved it. Well, I love the mix of sincere ones and goof-em-ups. Tried to space yeah. those out a little bit, and then there was some miserable failures like Mike's at the end there. Sorry to anyone who thought that we actually got Jack for that. I know a couple people said something. It's not true. Anyway, as James mentioned, yeah. we're back here discussing Help Us Stranger for the second part of our two-part album analysis and review. Today we're going to go through some release details that we didn't get to last week. We're going to finish the track by track, and we're going to talk about a little bit of reception, critical review, chart positions, and we're going to rate the album in addition to our third person for this week. So there's lots we got to get to, James. Yeah, we got a whole bunch, and we're asking you strangers to help us out here. Yeah, but before we get to all of that... <gasps> Is there something we should smell? No. Well, then get these scents out of my nose. <laughs> it's the potatoes. I'm done with you. <laughs> Paul, did you fall in love with something? Ah, oh, James, as a matter of fact, I did. I fell in love with the show. Oh, you fell in love with the show. <laughs> Paul, fell in love with the show is the section of our show in which one of us goes out there into the world, into the big, wide-open world. We see a Jack White or Third Man Records-related show, and then we fall in love and come back here to tell... All you fine folks out there, how the show went. Paul, what'd you see? Oh, well, James, that's a fine description. I went to a very special show. This past June, I had the pleasure of seeing something pretty remarkable when I went to go see, James, the Tours live at Amoeba Records in Los Angeles, California. Did we talk about this on the show yet? No, I don't believe we did. That sounds like a special night. Because if I recall, that was a meet and greet as well on during that. Yeah. So was that involved? Yeah, it was also a meet and greet. Um, I, I, it was an amazing experience. So I have done shows at Amoeba before. Uh, for any of you, for anyone not familiar, Amoeba Records is a chain of three record shops in California, sort of up and down the state. And they are, even though they're kind of big, they're a big shop. Where's the third one? Because there's San Francisco. There's Los Angeles. I think there's like a Berkeley one. I okay. think I think it's it's another one up north in a place you wouldn't 
expect. Right. I think that's where it is. Uh, somebody can write in and correct us. It's fine. But anyway, the one I'm discussing is right smack dab in the middle of Hollywood, California. James, you and I went there when you visited the last few times. Uh, you came out to visit Los yeah. Angeles. I've never been to any of the others, but the Amoeba in, in Hollywood, it's fantastic. They have a whole box dedicated to very, very obscure labels, and that leads to some very, very good finds. So Amoeba is great. Uh, yeah, Love it. Love it. They so have much. a sympathy for the record industry box, <laughs> which is like, oh, okay. Yes fun. Yeah. So anyway, Amoeba is wonderful. I'm there all the time anyway. People who listen to this show know that I go there a lot and my world tends to revolve around Amoeba on occasion. But I was very excited when I found out that the Tours are doing a pop-up show, I guess you'd call it. It's not really a surprise, more of a, like a pop-up show at Amoeba yeah. uh, to promote the, I guess at the time, forthcoming release of Help Us Stranger, which is what we're talking about on the show today. So I was very excited to find this out. I had been to one other concert at Amoeba before, and that was to see Jenny Lewis earlier mm-hmm. in the year, and I had such a good time going to see Jenny. You know, it's a, it's a big store. It's a big record store, but it's also, you know, as concert venues go, kind of on the small side. So no matter where you are in this place, you have a wonderful view But if you stake out a good spot and you are willing to put in the time, you can get stupid close. What's also nice about Amoeba is you can take your camera in there and they don't really mind, which is different than something like, say, a Barnes & Noble signing. The Barnes & Noble signing is the kind of beast where they want to bring that artist back. And so they are very particular about the artist's wishes. And for some reason, you you would have thought that the no-phone policy would have been an effect at Amoeba, but it was not. So Hmm. that was really cool. Well, Amoeba is known for using those concerts as social media and publicity for for the record store because, honestly, I knew about Amoeba Records before you moved to Los Angeles, mainly because the Paul McCartney record. which was just re-released on vinyl in full, yeah. Paul did a show famously at Amoeba, and people waited a long time for that one. But that was an intimate show. That was around 2007, the memory almost full tour. So anyway, I kind of knew what I was in for because I saw Jenny there, and I was just really, really excited to see the racks because I knew, boy, if I could stake out a good spot, that's the end. So the, the event was wristband only. So what you had to do was line up on a separate day very early in the morning, wait to get your wristband, and then come back what I think was, you know, about a week later or a few days later. Was this an outside situation? Yes. And it never rains in Los Angeles, but it rained that day. (laughs) So people were lined up outside of Amoeba. I think I was number 53 or something, and I got there at about five in the morning, six in the morning. Again, I was... 53rd in line that early in the morning. People were there as early as midnight, and they got rained on hard. And I talked to some of those people because, you know, you make line friends, and I talked to a few of them, and we all wrote numbers on our wrists so that no one could cut in line. There was a Sharpie handed around. It was wonderful. It was like a democracy experiment or something. We all just decided that we were going to do this, and so there was one Sharpie handed around, and we all had our number on our on our fist. And anyway, I did wind up talking to the number one and he was soaked and rightfully so. It was disgusting the previous night. He was number one. So anyway, I was a little concerned I wasn't going to get a ticket, but long story short, you know, I waited in this line, got a ticket. It was funny. I talked to a lady who worked at what I think is Louis, Louis Vuitton, one of those type of super high end, like shoe stores, fashion stores, who was there at like four in the morning 
she works at Louis Vuitton in Brentwood, which is this, the richest of the rich areas. Anyway, she the, the, the Louis Vuitton manager at Brentwood is a huge Jack White fan. She's wearing her third man gear and everything. And she's like, I got to work. She had her mother stand in line in her place. And it was wild. So anyway, it was great to see like passionate Jack fans out that early in Los Angeles. That was really wonderful. And so I did get my wristband. You had to buy something to get the ticket so i bought the cd and i guess i didn't regret that but i definitely got redundant copies of the cd later on when i got my concert mm, tickets when the yeah. tickets yeah so anyway i showed up really early the morning of the actual show i think i got there around well maybe it's more like 11 they were going to go on at five or six and i was pretty close i was pretty close to the front and you know you meet make line friends you know i stood out there for a long time a lot of people who now listen to the show i met at out front of amoeba that day i went alone but tom valente friend of the show tom valente uh, did come later on and was able to get in as well i got him a wristband uh, waiting early because you could get two and mm-hmm. i got in i got very very close to the stage i immediately noticed i was about you know there's you stand in the aisles of the records and so i was I was standing in this, about the second or third aisle, so very close to the stage. And I looked to my right, and on the other side was the VIP entrance. And Ben Swank, I, I spotted Ben Swank in the crowd. And he was sort of wandering around, maneuvering and things. And I was trying to pick out anybody else that I might have known. And there was somebody I thought might have been C6 Steve. But I don't th- – I think he could have just been old. So. <laughs> yeah, no, they get confused a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, the racks, the racks came on. I had my – bandana by that time i had gotten the vault i also had the pleasure of seeing people who were brave enough to peel their vaults in person Uh, there was quite a few i saw some people got it really good and then one lady i talked to was she must have been she was older than me she was you know maybe late 50s early 60s something like that she had her vault and she was devastated because she had peeled it too aggressively and it was ripped uh, in certain places, and I I told her, and I meant I meant this sincerely. And to any of you who have ripped your vaults, what you think is a bad degree, like it's meant. Like that's yeah, the intention. That's, you did what yeah. you're supposed to do. Like that's exactly what yeah. that is meant for. So actually, you did it right. The people who did it perfectly, sure, they have a cleaner image, which is fine and it's all good for them. But like that's not how it was intended. It was intended to be peeled off like the Beatles butcher cover. So. Well, I right. guess that wasn't intended. Which, I but. mean, to be fair, people who peel the butcher cover can get really clean images as well, but even some of the most meticulous collectors can sometimes get a lot of uh, tear and rip because the glue is so strong there. So I, it it's they they did the the same amount of glue stripes on that. We'll get yeah, into we it did. later. <laughs> if you if you if you tore it up, don't worry. That's the, that's the real experience that I'm sure Blackwell and Jack White and everybody wanted. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So anyway, the the lineup to, to get the wristband was on June 21st, the day that the album came out, and the show itself was on June 26th. And so that's, you know, I had a few days to kind of get, I had a few days to get to know the album. I had a few days to get to know the songs I liked and to be able to pl- kind of play it and absorb it. But this was going to be the first time that I had seen the tour and what was going to be the first of three times, although I didn't know it at the time. And this was a great way to do it. 
because even though the set list was short, it was only six songs. They did Born and Raised, Don't Bother Me, Help Me Stranger, Only Child, Now That You're Gone, and Sunday Driver. the fact that they only played new material because that's what I was there to hear and I loved the fact that I was so damn close I could like see them play music at me yeah in a way that you don't even really get at shows sometimes like concerts sometimes because it's dark and there's a performative aspect to it that's very calculated it's how they're meaning for you to see the show but it also feels like you're watching a performance as opposed to somebody kind of playing music to you sometimes. And in this case, it was just like, they, oh, there they are. There's the raconteurs. They're standing there. Jack was in a very good mood. Brendan was in a very good mood. Brendan forgot a lot of lyrics. We won't hold that against him. Granted, this was a little early. Yeah. Early, so. Jack kind of ribbed him for that a little bit. And, and they, they were still working out the arrangement for Now That You're Gone, the new live arrangement, which I don't, I gotta say, I don't really like as compared to the album version, or rather, I prefer the album version. I, I don't mind it, but that was the only time when I was like, oh, but that was interesting because I was happy to see the new material and see them trying things and, you know, just generally being musicians. Now, are you peering over records because of this? You're in the aisle, so, like, are you next to the Nickelback trying to <laughs> see over Chad Kroger or whatever his name is? Yeah, so I'm tall enough where I was fine. Okay. One of the line friends I made... And if you're if she's listening to this, she'll she'll know who she was. Was too short to see properly. She could still see, but she couldn't really see properly. So okay. what she and I wound up doing was going under the record rack and clearing out a box of forty fives, turning it over so she could stand on the box and watch the show. So. I don't think we did any irreparable harm to any merchandise, but, <laughs> but you know, she wanted to see the show. So the, the part where I was kicking myself was I brought my camera to get good pictures, but then before, I don't know, maybe an hour before we got let in, I got hit with a, like a, oh, what if, uh, what if like Jack gets pissed off or like, what if he doesn't like that I have a camera there? Like, cause there, as you mentioned, there's going to be a meet and greet afterwards. So I, mm-hmm. I walked back to the car and I put it back in the car ah, and I, that's okay. James, if I had that camera there, I would have been able to shoot into Patrick Keeler's nostril. I, w- I would have been able to photograph Jack Lawrence's butt. Like I was so close and. <laughs> 
I was kicking myself for that. Oh, I was kicking myself for that. Those are the two shots that I've been wanting. <laughs> I, I have all the rest. I just need those two to complete the puzzle. That's okay. I, I've been freaked out by that kind of stuff before. Will the venue take away my camera? I've been in places where I've had a good camera and put it back because of you know that kind of anxiety. I think it's it's understandable. And look, we all carry cameras that are pretty great on our phones yeah so yeah you got good shots yeah so i was able to get some good pictures there and anyway as i as i mentioned you know part of why i was nervous was because of this meet and greet so the show was wonderful it was electric i was buzzing from it afterwards we were all herded into the line to go meet the band the people who had gotten the special wristbands anyway and while we were in line i talked to ben swank a little bit and said hi and we communicated for, for a bit, and then I went back into the line. And so the line was, you know, fairly long, but I was there with Tom, and we got to talking, and it was all fine. So anyway, we got to meet the band, and it was wonderful. Uh, Patrick was there, and the first thing that came out of my mouth, I just I just blurted out, like, oh, man, I love your artwork. I don't know why that was the thing I first thought of to say, but I just said, ah, I love your artwork. Your artwork was, was wonderful. And I'm sure he doesn't hear that too often. Yeah, like I mean, I, I mean that respectfully. Like right. I think most people at meet and greets would be like, "I love your drumming," right? But to hear you know something that you do work hard on be acknowledged as well probably is pretty great. It was just top of mind. It was the first thing that came to my yeah. mind, so that's what I said there. And then when I got to Brendan was next, I went, "Brendan, I'm a huge fan," and I wished in the end I had said like, "I love what kind of world" because that's my favorite Brendan album, but I didn't. I just said I'm a huge fan. And uh, he was like, oh, oh, yeah. And they're all signing as they go. And then I got to Jack, and uh, I was like, Jack, you know, and, and, and we talked for a little bit, and I said, I mentioned the podcast, and uh, I, I said, I mentioned, you know, our dealings with Blackwell and stuff, and, and he was like, what? Oh, oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I know you guys. So that was cool, and, you know, it was, it was brief. It was a brief conversation, mm-hmm. but still nice and cool, respectful, all that. And I was so buzzing after Jack. I don't know why they put Jack Lawrence at the end of the line, but I just, I didn't know what to do. I just looked, and I went, ah, little Jack, and then walked away. <laughs> and so I just, well, uh, <laughs> I just sort of screamed at him and said his name and walked away. I didn't stay for a handshake or anything. I was just buzzing, you know. And so no, they put him. They put him there because he's a heartthrob. He's great. They put, yeah, he's Jack that's why they put him. There. Everybody loves him. Those long, luscious locks, that great new facial hair, <laughs> um, those big, big glasses. I love that man to death. He deserves to be screamed at and, and loved at. Yeah, screamed and loved at. Anyway, James, that's been uh, fell in love with the show. I fell in love with the show. I had a great time. It's, uh, it's been a fell in love with the show, Paul. You've now met Jack White three times. Yeah. And I, not a once. Are we sure I didn't do this on the show? I'm like 90% sure, but hell, we did an episode twice. <laughs> <laughs> James, what do you say we wrap up uh, Help a Stranger? Let's get into this. I can't wait. I did my best with this. I found what I felt I could. We're not perfect, and now we're not the only podcast out there. So <laughs> we'll let them do it. Somebody else can clean up our nonsense. <laughs> our detritus that we leave behind. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the release of Help Us Stranger. As I mentioned in the in the previous segment, Help Us Stranger was released on June 21st, 2019, numbered TMR 600 for those of you keeping track of that sort of thing, which is impressive. I think that means 600 releases. So, hey, awesome. It was mixed at Sputnik Sound, which is a recording studio in Nashville, Tennessee, that's run by two fellas, Mitch Dane and your friend and mine, Vance Powell. 
He's not really our friend. Vance does a lot of work with Third Man Records, and they've apparently... I didn't even know that they had the studio. They've apparently done a bunch of stuff with Tom Waits, uh, C6 Steve, Sturgill Simpson, tons of others, so good for Vance and Mitch. Unconfirmed male model on the Consolers of the Lonely album, Vance Powell. (laughs) The engineer on this record is Joshua V. Smith, assisted by Dusty Fairchild. You wrote Dusty Fairchild. I just want you to know. I'm looking here at your notes. And, uh, Paul, that says Justy Fairchild. (laughs) Justy Fairchild, mastered by Bill Skibb and assisted by Michael Fahey. A lot of familiar names there, nothing really new to the third man world. Uh, We talked about the cover a little bit last time, but I don't think that we mentioned that Patrick Keeler shares his cover concept credit with designer Tristan McNatt, who also worked on a ton of vault releases, a bunch of Margot Price stuff when Margot released those two EPs in advance of uh, the debut of her new record, and he also worked on her new record, All American Made, Dead Weather Mayan Vault release, uh, Boarding House Reach, tons of stuff. And so, anyway, he's somebody that we haven't really gotten into too much on the podcast, but somebody who I think has been making a visual stamp on Third Man for quite some time. There is a vault version of the record, as we talked about in the previous segment, with a lenticular cover and green marble vinyl, which underneath said lenticular cover hides a Beatles butcher cover parody photo, which you have to peel off. Like the butcher cover of Yesterday and Today, which which is the, the album it's kind of aping. Uh, or parodying. I guess it's a straight parody because they took the same photo from the butcher cover and literally photoshopped the faces yes. onto yeah. <laughs> onto the Beatles. And they're also doing their fa- the Beatle faces, like they're trying yeah. to match the faces. It's amazing. For those of you who don't know, in 1966, the Beatles fed up with what Capitol was doing to their records and also looking to shake their teeny bopper image, decided to go with a photographer whose concept for a record cover was to have the Beatles appearing in butcher smocks covered in raw meat and baby doll parts. And so as if the the company was butchering their children. Yeah, butchering the records. Anyway, this got as far as being printed before somebody at Capitol said, "Excuse me, you can't do that." <laughs> And so quite bland cover of the four of them sitting in like a trunk case was Mm -hmm. pasted on top of the, quote, butcher cover image. And that was only on, I think, the first run printing. Somebody can correct me on that. But you won't find that on every release of that Beatle album yesterday and today, but you'll find it on the first runs only. And if you do find it, it's worth quite a bit of money. The the market on those, that's like one of the most expensive Beatle items you can yeah. get. Hilarious that it is still referenced to this day because Capital wanted this shut down. And, right. And every time I walk into a record store now, I always check any copy of yesterday or today I see. You could, you can kind of tell there's a little thing by the trunk that Ringo is sitting in. You can see a little bit of the cover if you if you look at it. So If you're looking for one, uh, yeah, any, if you find one. It, it blew me away. Somebody, I think Kent Green yes, on Twitter, Kent, yeah. sent it to us, and he was one of the first to discover this, and he sent that message to us. Therefore, we are we were at the <laughs> forefront of this butcher cover raconteurs parody, yeah. which 
you know, I felt special about. Kent should feel special about. It was a, it was a it was a good time for me. Yeah. It's a good time for Kent. Yeah. Good time for you, Paul. It's better for you. It's better for me. It's better for them. Admiral, there'll be whales here. I I couldn't imagine more of a joining of things we enjoy than the raconteurs purposefully doing an obscure Beatles parody in the way that they did it with this. It's as though it was tailor-made for... It wasn't, but it was as though it was tailor-made for our interests. And, of course, listeners to our father's podcast yesterday and today will note that that is the title of the album the Butcher cover appears on. And so, Conspiracy? I think so. Definitely, yeah, no. This album in general has a lot of of beatle connections, at least in the interviews. They talk a lot about McCartney and Lennon, more so than they ever had before that I can recall. So it's been an interesting press circuit as well as Beatle connections, which used to be non-existent. I mean, we had the Beatle belt because it was such rarefied air to to hear those two in in the same sentence. So it was was neat. It was a neat little... Yeah, a nice little Easter egg there. And speaking of the vault, the vault release of Help Us Stranger came with a 45 single of the Help Me Stranger demo by Jack backed with Some Days... Don't Feel Like Trying by Brendan. And that vault package also came with a Patrick Keeler-designed Tours bandana and slip mat, which, by the way, was brandished by myself on my arm at the Amoeba show and by many other people mm. who were twirling it in the air and holding it on their heads and this and that or waving it nice. like a flag. So that was uh, that was very cool. And It's also worth mentioning that there was a independent record store version of the album, which is the one I have. Oh, actually. yes. Yes, yes, yes because of monetary reasons, but uh, I was able to procure the independent record store limited release, which has a screen printed cover and screen printed back. Same cover as the the regular album, although it is, well, it's not really the same cover. It's just the hand on the cover. And then on the back, it's it's got the track listing and stuff, but it's nice, limited, cool textural thing. And then it comes on white vinyl as well. Yeah, so the white vinyl was sold out by the time number 53 over here got to the front of the line, or whatever (laughs) number I was. So I did not get that one, unfortunately, but that's okay, because I knew my vault was going to be enough. The vault's a cool one, yeah. That's that's what I wanted. Also, actually, you know, one of the things I forgot to mention about that Amoeba show is it came with an exclusive little mini poster, which was really fun and um, I wanted. I was hoping to get that signed by the band, but they were only signing copies of the record. Anyway, yeah, it's a great package. Uh, I love the visual cohesion in this one. Jack's stuff is always great with graphic design, but this one in particular, I really enjoyed the the walk sign imagery and the green and all that stuff. And James, I think that's going to bring us to uh, the remainder of the track by track. We got track number two, hot off the presses. It's the title track, Paul. It's Help Me Stranger. If you call me, I'll come running. You can call me anytime. And these 16 strings were strumming. They will back up every line. There's a motivation about you. Yeah, so last week we talked about Bored and Raised. This week we'll 
jump in here with Help Me Stranger. As you say, Jack wrote this one and uh, did a demo where he played all the instruments and asked Brendan if he had heard anything he could feed off of from said demo, and that's the demo we mentioned was available in the vault release, and the demo is really cool. Jack Lawrence sings the song at the beginning, that little old-timey... That thing, that 1930s style thing, and he was singing it as a goof in the studio, and in the, and then it just sort of stuck. So old Mary style. <laughs> yeah, I love and I love I, it. Too. I mean, I was racking my brain trying to figure out who the artist they were sampling was for a long time. I think a lot of people were. Yeah, it's LJ being Turns a goofball. Out it's just yeah, little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does a good old timey. He does. Singer. Yeah, that, that is a, as we mentioned, it sounds like an old record. So. They, the band tweaked the EQ to make it sound more like a 78 record for that reason. And, you know, in the music video for Help Me Stranger, Little Jack does sing that part. And what I love is in the Colbert performance, they superimpose Colbert singing that part. And I just love that so much. So Brendan wrote the chorus and Jack wrote the verses. Jack said of this song, it's the most electric inspired song we all did together the song we enjoyed recording the most as a band and it has a real breakbeat feel which is true i think it does it's a song that wound up being my favorite on the record and i didn't think it was going to at first but it really grew on me i thought hearing this thing live coming out of the 10-year celebration i thought this song was going to be a lot crazier on the record and what we found out was that no the if anything they're a little more slowed down on the record but actually i think this is my favorite track and fun fact it's the song that my daughter will drop whatever she's doing and dance to for some reason just this one she'll stop and do that little baby dance that she does and it's the cutest little thing i love the little strum when they say these 16 strings are strumming and then they do the little extra yeah. strum. Yeah, it's a great one. Chase, what do you what do you think about this one? So I, my first interaction with it was at the 10-year anniversary and I was a little confused because it sounds more subdued. Uh, it's interesting that he says it's more the more electric of the album, but uh, seemed a little more acoustic. Maybe it's the that new acoustic electric hybrid yes. guitar that's yes. making it... Kind of, it's got a jangly sound to it that I didn't like at first, and I've grown to love. It's one of the like three tracks that if I'm in the mood for just something off of this album, I'll skip to. I skip to "Born and Raised," then I stay on for "Help Me Stranger," and then I'll move right on to "Don't Bother Me" okay. right after yeah. that. So like, it's in a strong front half. Oh yeah, real, I, real tight side A. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's one I'll crank up. I do I do thoroughly enjoy this song. I was I was cold on it at first and I have I've heated up since then. But yeah, I, it's got a it's got a jangly kind of feel to it that I wasn't expecting and then it's got those congos. Yes. Yes. That they brought back from Boarding House Reach <laughs> or at least Jack brought with them from Boarding like House that. Reach that on stage they have somebody else playing actual congas and it you know, it it works. I think it's a, it's a functional song. I think it's really good and it's not my favorite on the album, but it's it's up there. Yeah, I think I think it's a great I love the congas too. I'm happy the congas stuck around and Jack Lawrence has got that funky little bass piano thing or whatever he's playing during that during that I, I know there's a name for it people have talked about it and it's really cool it's like wooden block kind of thing the groove on this one to me gives me major kinks vibes a little flaming lips 
and in the end a perfect blend of acoustic rock with a heavier riff rock bass and I, I really like the chorus an awful lot I think it's one of the band's finest in terms of melody for some reason they missed the opportunity in my opinion to say brother can you spare a dime to change up the lyric in the chorus because they say spare the time a few oh, times yeah and at first i thought they were saying brother can i you thought spare that's a what dime? they were saying too yeah maybe it's a intentional pun in that way i don't know yeah, maybe. but i pulled out this stanza speaking of the lyrics it's not essential that i feel you but it's a sensitive device I'm reverential when I hear you. I genuflect to your advice. Well, I wish I had the words, and I wish those words to rhyme. And I wish I had the nerve, because I sure don't have the time. What the f*** does genuflect mean? Oh, that's uh, when you go into a pew at church. You bow down and do the sign of the cross in front of the crucifix, and that's genuflecting. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow, really cool. I love uh, another little nice touch on this one is that they give you that little extra beat before the chorus on the first go around, and then they just launch into it at a breakneck speed the second go around. That full blown out fuzz solo with the congas and the bass at the end is just so great. And it's a wonderful ending, a great one-two punch, these first two tracks. Yeah, and it's got a, a really cool music video as well, which I think I alluded to last time. That's billed as a public service announcement. This is an emergency message from Third Man Records. If you call me... Warning. You may cause an immediate loss of inhibitions, spontaneous acts of love, and advancement to a higher state of consciousness. In the time it takes for you to listen to this public service announcement, millions of people just like you will have had a spiritual awakening. That has some really cool animation to it uh, that I highly recommend. A lot of motion graphics along with cartoon versions of the Tours, which we've never seen before. We have caricature versions, official caricature versions of the Tours in there, which I think is one reason why Jack is now wearing that hat <laughs> as much as he is, is because it adds to his caricature that you can easily identify like, oh, there's, there's right. the Jack. And then you see LJ with the hair and the mustache and the glasses. You're like, there's the LJ. And then you have Brendan who has the poofy hair. And you're like, there's right. the Brendan. Uh, so it's it's cool to see how they went about the, the caricature uh, versions of them in there. And anyway, go check that out. It's on uh, Third Man's YouTube. Yeah, that's cool. The regular music video is great, too. And it's it's got them bumming around Japan. And there's like a flaming baby in there. And they're like... I forgot about the other video. Yeah, they, they like look to the camera and then they look to another camera and then they're, they're almost like posing, but we're watching them pose. Very playful. Yeah, it's playful. It's very play Like the whole yeah. thing is playful. That brings us to track three, Only Child. Only child, one of these days, someone's gonna come around and try to make you change. Yeah, 
good song. Not my favorite, but good song. I like this one. Brandon recorded this one at his own studio, and the rest is recorded at Jack's studio. So this was originally intended to be a Brendan Benson solo song and wound up transitioning into the and Tours. Brendan wrote it on his own. Jack said they tried to top the one Brendan did in his studio, but couldn't as a band. So they decided to keep the vocal and the acoustics from the demo and layer it into the band performance. So what you're hearing on the record is a mix of Brendan's home studio recording as well as the band performance. Wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Brendan's studio is at his house, which he just recently moved into, which has a detached studio space in the backyard that he uses to make recordings and things. The riffs are performed on different instruments. So Brendan describes the riff playing here as similar to The End from Abbey Road. The only difference being it's Jack playing it all instead of three different guitars. But yeah, Jack is playing three different instruments on that end bit on Only Child for the different segments of it. And again, a more Beatle reference in the research yeah. for this album. Uh, I, I like this song a lot. It's quintessential acoustic Brendan with lots of little melodic Jack flourishes. I think the line where he says, I thought about leaving you once or twice in the middle eight is my favorite part. If I had to bet, I would guess that might be Jack's either contribution or perhaps spiritual contribution to the song because the vibe of that sentiment is so different from the rest of the song and it's so Jack. I thought about leaving you once or twice. It's got that little aggressive edge to it where Brendan always airs on the side of yeah, I don't know what to do here. I don't think I'm good enough. People don't appreciate me. I'll just do whatever you're doing. It's never assertive. Like, I've thought about leaving you, but maybe it is. You know, maybe this is Brendan saying, I've thought about it, but he's he's not gonna. I'm leaning, I'm leaning towards it's being a Brendan line just because I don't think Jack touched the lyrics. I think Jack got this song and heard it and loved it. Yeah. I think that's... I don't know. I, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess you're right. I like that lyric too. I And I, I made this comment when they teased it on Instagram. They did a video of Jack and Brendan practicing this song in a field before, <laughs> like, before the album came out. So like we, we heard them kind of harmonizing, which was really nice. The harmonies in this are fantastic. Oh, yeah. Very good harmonies. So when I heard it on, on the Instagram video, I loved it. And then I thought about how much I dislike them rhyming twice with twice. <laughs> I get it. That bothered me because I'm like, you could have found something. But else. then they get they come back with somewhere far away on far a beach away, sounds, a beach nice. sounds nice. I love that bit. I love it. It's it's yeah, it's catchy. It's I know some people were complaining that the the rhymes were a little too simplistic on that, but I like I like that rhyme. But the twice and twice, I was like, ah, it caught me like a, it. I know. It stuck at me I know. for some reason. I used to never pay attention to that stuff, and then I started listening to music podcasts. Oh damn it! Done. <laughs> um, I love anyway. I love the solo. It's a lovely little touch there. It just gives. It's there for the right amount of time. Uh, nothing on this album overstays its welcome, in my opinion. It just exemplifies balance. Um, the line that Jack liked most from Brendan on this album is only child the prodigal son has come back home again to get his laundry done it seems to be the line that, that sticks out to most people yeah I liked it a lot too when I heard it at, at first but um, I guess I was it's, so in love with the middle eight that you know that one's that it's one, relatable yeah. it's relatable to people our age I think a lot of people our age went away to college or moved out 
and came home to do their laundry. I know I did. I'm I did positive you I, did because I was <laughs> I was in high school and you'd be home for the weekend or something and you'd you'd have like four bags of laundry because you didn't want to pay the expensive New York prices yeah. at a laundromat. So it was you know it's it's a very relatable kind of line. I mean, and th- another biblical reference there, along with genuflecting in the last one the prodigal son is a is a story uh, out straight out of the bible so yeah it's about how yeah. you know i was a f- up went away to college came back and was the golden shot <laughs> <laughs> then we get that little play out jam at the end which is which is really lovely that brings us to track four james don't bother me which we th- don't bother me bother which me. we thought might have been a beatles cover when we first saw the track list <laughs> This song is Jack letting out his aggression and vengeance. He said that in a Studio Brussels interview. Jack claims it's a character, although he's a little cagey when describing this song, so that leads me to believe that there might have been something specifically on his mind when he was channeling these very aggressive lyrics. Apparently, which we have an idea about. Which we have an idea. We'll get to that in a second. Patrick Keeler came in with a heavy drum beat, and that inspired a lot of the feeling behind this song that started as a jam. So Jack added lyrics later to what was a band jam, and I guess Patrick was really responsible for the heavy nature of the song originally. LJ and Brendan harmonizing up high for the Don't Bother Me, Bother Me. Jack says that that was a trick he used on Boarding House Reach, using harmony to juxtapose the heavier stuff, which I thought was funny because there's a lot of little references to Boarding House Reach in the press tour of this one, and I think Jack was trying to incorporate the bits that he thought maybe worked from those experiments Mm -hmm. into this, as opposed to having the whole thing be a dad gum experiment he's a mad scientist but he found he, he found what worked and moved it into an album that has been better received by the fans i would at say. least yeah by the fans critics most people i think so jack said of this song it's so powerful it's so heavy duty we didn't know what the lyrics could be so he went off and scribbled them and okay so as you alluded to we we have an idea of who maybe portions of this are about i don't know that this is real Let's start it by saying that. But there's enough lines in this that gave us pause. And there was one line in particular that I read and said, oh, like it stuck out to me. It's just somebody who knows this person's material. So I'm going to read the lyrics here and we'll, we'll say where this stuff comes in. Your hidden agenda, you ruthless rule bender, your surface duplicity... It's all nothing new to me. The way you look in the mirror, you're your biggest admirer. All your clicking and swiping, all your groping and griping. Groping and griping, I think, is where that would start. (laughs) So that, all right, so that first, what I just read, could be anybody. Or anybody that, it's nonspecific, is what what I mean. 
Okay. It could be Jack. Like it sounds a little like entitlement from Lazaretto. Like ah, I'm angry at you for using your phone and thinking you're entitled to things. Okay. Now to be fair, there's a song by this guy called "Look in the Mirror." Oh, oh, okay. So here's I didn't even realize that. Let's get into more. The lack of your empathy, your who me fake apologies, your political science, your stupid island alliance, that one I don't know, you're squatting at my place, you're grinning in my face, you fake punk jacket liar, easy... Very good line. Yeah, it's great. Easy target, easy tiger. So let's unpack a few things there. The person we're talking about is scumbag extraordinaire Ryan Adams. Ryan Adams came up around the same time Jack did in the indie rock scene. Ryan Adams wrote a song criticizing Jack, amongst maybe other things, but mainly Jack in the context of the White Stripes called Political Science. Ryan Adams has an album called Easy Tiger. Mm-hmm. He wears a jacket with punk sh- all sewn into it. Uh-huh. <laughs> the fake apologies. The fake apologies. The who me fake apologies. Because he's been, you know, me too. You're squatting at um, my place. We're not here to spread rumor. This is just who came to our mind and a lot of our friends' minds <laughs> when we heard it's this. It's the song. easy tiger thing that jumped out. It's to the me. easy tiger Cause when thing. Because, really like, like, why would you say that? Why would you? Why would you say that unless he was talking about? Now, here's my theory. Like, and again, this is just my personal interpretation. Okay, I don't think this is this song is about Ryan Adams. I think this song is about a lot of people that piss Jack off, and he was looking yes. for angry lyrics to match the aggressive sound of this band jam, and so I think he was grabbing maybe at whoever he could think of that pissed him off and put it in the thing who knows like it could have been anything like he could have been just grabbing at whatever but i but easy tiger like that line being in there is like "Mm." and the political science thing is like "Mm." and the fact that that all that with ryan adams was happening while the band was working on this is like "Mm." i'm with you almost completely in that uh i do think that this is a piecemeal approach i don't think it's solely about about the man, I think that there is some Trump stuff. Could be in there. Could be. I think. I think the stupid island alliance and ruthless rule bender, that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of that can kind of, you know, your hidden agenda. I think a lot of that is is also in there. The clicking and swiping, I think, is Jack complaining about phones, the children, phone yeah. culture, <laughs> and also Trump with with yeah. Twitter. I think a lot. I think there's a lot in there. And then he's he's pulling out some Jack favorites of alluding to grinning in your face, which is all about someone who's being two faced, you know, they're smiling at you. Don't you mind Uh, people grinning in your face. A sun house is grinning in your face. I think there's just a lot of, I I think Jack's right. It's just aggression and it's coming at you from a lot of different places. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows for sure? Except Jack at the time, even Jack doesn't know. He might not know. I think at this point. Yeah. You so, might not know. This one sounds yeah. to me, it's got a dead weather vibe to it, but honestly, this one sounds to me the most like Lazaretto, especially toward the end, where we get that little hypnotic guitar riff that changes the tempo, and we even get that Lazaretto, oh, 
in there. Yeah. I love the little rock out jam at the end with the whole bunch, and it was sick live. It was so good live. The solos, fantastic. Just no fuzz, just freak out, Jack. Really good stuff. And and ultimately, I don't really like the don't bother me, bother me voices, the way they join in there much in the same way. I don't like the would you fight for my love, moaning ladies and things. I think it's just a flourish that I think is I think for me it's a flourish that is a step too far but I know some people like it uh, so yeah that's where I land on it I'm all for it very aggressive love it cool great to drive fast too but I think it turns into a truly great cool like rock song after the breakdown yeah me too Uh, from there we go to the next track Shine the Light on Me My hands are colder when you're gone it's hard to play the notes I write to warm your mind But nothing's colder than the song That's never played in a pile of papers left So this is one we talked a little bit about last week. This started as a Boarding House of Reach song, but didn't seem to fit. Sounded more like a Rack and Tour song to Jack. He, uh, we even get a little over and over again line in this one. And this yeah. one was recorded originally at Capitol Studios with Carla Azar on drums and the giant Capitol Grand Piano. I would love to hear that demo. So this one was, I guess, a serious contender for that record, and ultimately he just didn't think it fit, and that's when he brought the song to Brendan and said, hey, I think this is more like a raconteur song, and that's how the album came together. For me, this is a highlight. It's a highlight of the record. The four-part harmony, you mentioned harmony earlier, James. Four-part harmony, like it's like Beach Boys stuff at the beginning of this one. I just love it. I love the piano. Yeah, the ooze at the beginning are very good. Yeah, the, it's just, it's got the flavor of every Jack piano song ever. It sounds like someone smacking a piano into submission. <laughs> like when Jack plays the piano, I feel like he's just all whacking. He's whacking at it. And, and uh, that piano is, is going to submit. But then Brendan gives us a little vocal help in places, which is a nice touch. It's understated. It softens the jack blow, you know. And there's a great line in here. We don't need to know how the flowers grow. Let's just be happy they can. I really like that line. When I heard it, I'm not going to lie, the first thing I thought of was our podcast is basically – us asking how the flowers are growing and Jack's going like, you don't need to know, just be happy they can. And I mean, in a way, I think that's his whole MO is the, the mystery, keeping the mystery around, uh, alive. Yeah. It struck me as, you know, the man of mystery is is trying to say, keep things a mystery. It doesn't have to be solved. Yeah. The, yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's a lot. This line in particular jumped out to me as having a similarity to a song I'm certain Jack has never heard by Paul McCartney from the album Off the Ground where he says... I wouldn't put it past him. Where he says... And that is Paul's way of saying that the universe gives the amount of knowledge that is required to each living thing to do the thing that they need to do and nothing more. The tree knows what the tree must know. 
and that that's what came to mind for me just because that song is in my dna but anyway that that's a little association there great vocal from jack on this one he's got that yell going and you know there was a time during the acoustic recordings tour where i thought jack you gotta stop smoking because i think your voice is getting a little hoarse and i think what that was i think that was just tour residue because his vocal sounds pretty darn good here i think his vocal's strong it does it does. I mean, you can, it could be any number of things. Who knows? The, in the Nature Tips with Jack stuff, you could hear some definite throat garbling uh, in, the, in the first two of those series. And then it gets better after that. So maybe it's tour stuff. Maybe it's just rehearsal. Maybe yeah. it's screaming, don't bother me at the top <laughs> of his lungs for, you know, yeah. in a studio space for a while. Who knows? Right. Well, that brings us to the next track, Some Days. I was eight years old. Another great one. This is a Brendan Benson song through and through. It's the one that he brought to the table to Jack at the start of these sessions. And it's interesting to note that Shine a Light and Some Days are placed next to each other on the record. (laughs) And those are the two songs that inspired the album. Uh, Brendan says that it was an idea he had that came from a dark place. He says he wrote it during a dark period, but now feels that he's no longer in that dark period and finds it strange to sing the song for that reason. And I, can hmm. o- I can only imagine, you know, when you're doing something in a particularly down state of it's, mind and then you're in a stage with crowds and things. It must be weird. It's funny he says that because I think Jack actually mentions in reference to the White Stripes in, a, in an interview a long time ago, he says he writes in character because he's not writing about stories that happened to him because, you know, writing songs in that mindset of like, why would he want to be reminded of those terrible, terrible things? So he's writing in character. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Brendan, Brendan writes from almost first person stuff almost all the time, which is, again, I think comes down to that Lennon McCartney difference. Jack writes in character and Brendan writes first person almost exclusively. So Brendan said he found the end coda to be a relief an upside a light at the end of the tunnel, but admits it was an afterthought, an improvised section from the studio that was born of Brendan just screwing around on the guitar, and he was taken aback by the positivity of the sentiment to the point where the whole band agreed that they should keep the song going and add the nice coda at the end. So that's the, here right now, not dead yet. So that's Brendan revisiting the song, no longer in a dark place, saying it's going to be all right. And I can safely say I've shouted it at the top of my lungs, and it's a it's a thing I can tell myself as a mantra, yeah. if you will. And if something's going wrong, I'm I'm here right now. I'm not dead yet. There you go. Yeah. So uh, Jack uses his B bender effect on this, which gives the guitar work a pedal steel esque flavor. He said he focused on this track purely as a guitarist, and loves that it lands in the middle of the album, closing out 
side A. Boy, this is a Brendan song if I ever heard one. It opens with a line that says, I got so much to give, got a lot of heart. Only trouble is, <laughs> it's doomed from the start. Oh, That's Brendan. a Brendan line right there. Yeah. It's got that pop-tinged depression, and I don't know a kinder way to say that. It's just sad and also kind of makes you empathize a little bit. Yeah, it, it's it's not a favorite of mine on the record. I feel like we get the better version of this song with Now That You're Gone, at least in my opinion. But I like the song. I think the solos are great. I think the lyric is really strong and heartfelt, and I do really like the coda and, you know, this is Jack kind of in support mode for Brendan. Brendan's bearing his heart on the table, and Jack is using the guitar to lift up what is a sad sentiment in, in a nice way. It's really, it highlights for me what I love about the Tours is that those two guys just complement each other so wonderfully. I really think this song is great, and its juxtaposition to Shine the Light is interesting because they're, they're similar in tone. They're slower songs. They take you down a notch from from Don't Bother Me, but it's this one takes you on a little bit of a journey. It's got that cool harmony when, you know, Brendan's singing some days and then the rest of the band goes some days, you know. Right. And the coda at the end is just perfect. You know, Jack has, in his past, created songs that have had mantra-like things or, you know, I think we've called them stadium songs or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, things that he's yeah. trying to get people to shout from the stands. And this is the first time it's been 100% successful because it's a very, very easy to shout as an audience member kind of lyric. It's not just him. It's Brendan. It's Brendan doing this. And I think Brendan was very successful with this. This is one of my favorite Brendan Benson songs. Great. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. So that that brings us to the cover on the album, the song that opens side two. It's a weird side opener, but I love it. Hey, Jip, dig the slowness. one morning the band just needed a song to get into the groove and this is apparently a trick that jack uses a lot in the studio to get the day going record a cover something that everybody can get into and jam on and then move on to the business at hand well eventually that trick gave us i'm shaken which was eventually a single off of blunderbuss as well as i just don't know what to do with myself from really? Elephant, yes, and new, no and new Pony from Whorehound. All of those covers were just done as warm-up tracks that the band liked and kept. Huh. It's so funny, because whenever they're talking about this song in the various press tour interviews that they've done, they always sort of joke as like, we know the trick now, Jack. Like, we know that this is... We know this is a trick. It's not a trick anymore. It's just a thing you're doing. <laughs> uh, and Jack says that the downside is that the tracks always end up on the records. Brendan says that he felt freed up to jam doing this. Jack said he had heard the song on the radio driving his kids to school that morning. And It's a bizarre song for radio play. 
but it is. But I assume the radio stations or XM whatever Jack is listening to is playing something yeah. like that. They're playing uh, Pokey Lafarge's Sweet Potato Pie. So <laughs> who knows? Uh, Brendan got excited about this, and the band learned that Brendan could play harmonica that day. Yeah, uh, that's that's exciting. Jack, along and this is true. I don't know. If, I don't know if this is him with us or not but jack said that long ago he decided to pick one instrument to never learn how to play (laughs) i feel like it's the kind of thing he would do pick one instrument he's never gonna learn how to play and that's harmonica it's very him creating a challenge where there was none before and need not be but it could um, also be a joke. It's It could also be a joke. It seems out of character that he would pick harmonica, being that Dylan was a huge impact on him. Maybe uh, he, he felt he couldn't he touch be, that. Could be. I would assume he would have fixed a, uh, some kind of weird dental apparatus to play a harmonica <laughs> all the time. Yeah. But I guess not. I mean, the blues obviously was a major influence more so than the harmonica. But the blues has harmonica. I don't know. This we is don't know. Odd. It's an odd choice. No one will ever know. Why not the sousaphone? <laughs> so people at Third Man loved the song and insisted they put it on the album. So that's how Hey Jip, Dig the Slowness wound up on the album. This was also released as a single. Sort of, it was a screen-printed 45 that was available only at the TMR 10-year anniversary celebration. And uh, I was quite jealous that everyone was able to get their hands on one of those four versions of that uh, each screen printed single had one of the band members on it it was like a an extra upfront cost to get a goodie bag and in that goodie bag came one of these singles you could get one of each of the band members and each of the band members screen printed their own singles so their own face they have pictures of them running the screens with the ink which is amazing really cool this video that too i think this is another highlight for me on the record not just because i love donovan but because the groove they get going is just unstoppable there's a fuzzed out vocal that makes the song feel badass like the original donovan song isn't it's kind of badass because donovan uses the the acoustic guitar to give like a really deep bass sounding vibe but this one, I don't know, the racks just really give it a nice spin. And for a song that these guys are just goofing around with, it's really a master class in how to take a cover and make it your own with the band, you know, seemingly just doing on autopilot here. You know, it's they're at, I don't know if they're at the top of their game, but boy, they're close. They just they just farted this out. And it's amazing. <laughs> and it's not the first time Jack would ever have played. Hey, Jip, dig the slowness, because they did it with the go at the gold dollar, which was in that vault That's collection. Right. Um, if I recall, this was also a standard tune that Donovan co-opted. Yes. And because he put in lyrics and all these other things, they, he was able to credit himself. I don't know as much about that. As I didn't like really to. get into that too much in my research here, but yes, that is a, it's a standard of some kind that Donovan did co-opt in the same way that Led Zeppelin kind of co-opted the lemon song, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. They credit it to Donovan. Cause I guess that's what the publishing is under, but it does have that rambling blues man kind of feel to it. He based it on, can I do it for you by Memphis Minnie and Kansas Joe McCoy, Memphis Minnie, both of them famous blues singers and uh, the name jip refers to donovan's best friend jip mills yeah by you i've been home by you i've been home by you i've been home want to do something to you you understand i want to do something to you so uh, 
Well, uh, there you go, Memphis Mini. Wonderful. Well, that brings us to the first single from the album, James, Sunday Driver. Really, our first new taste of raconteurs in a very long time. Yeah, this came uh, out early. Yeah, it came out in conjunction with a music video, which is awesome. Uh, Jack calls the song lazy rock and roll, like the small faces or humble pie. And he clearly liked this one because he speaks very highly of it in interviews, despite calling it lazy. There's a really cool um, stereo panning as well at the beginning. Jack says, you can use this song to set up your stereo. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, because the, there's all that panning. It goes bam, 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 bam to the different sides. He says that he personally, to set up his stereo, uses the Beatles revolver because of that stereo panning. Another Beatles thing, huh? Yep. That's both Jack and Brendan playing the guitars at the beginning there. Two different styles of guitar playing at the same time. There's a trippy part of this song where they go, let's take a drive. Jack said that his son said that this part sounded like a Beatles record. Yeah, it does. It definitely, it sounds like, I mean, Day Tripper comes to mind mostly because of Mm -hmm. the Sunday driving thing, but. Yeah, it's got that 60s kind of feel to that's that's sort of slurred mm-hmm. slightly acidic flavor uh there's a villain character i think in the song and he or she is the one singing let's take a ride that part like his version of the event unfolding is there while the jack character is being paranoid about the events unfolding i'm a little unclear on the story i'm not sure there is one but i think that's roughly what's happening there there's a villain character and there's like the jack pov character huh i don't know listen for yourself and tell us folks. i've never <laughs> thought of there being two characters in this Who knows? I don't know. uh, this one really didn't impress me at first but now it's become a favorite for me on the record it's a, uh, a highlight the riff is tight the little effects at the beginning are all well placed and executed wonderfully there's a solid melody i think ultimately the lyrics are what bothered me originally about this one when he goes into the it ain't right it ain't wrong bit without any melodic change i found the repetition to be lazy Hmm. um, and i was hung up on that too much on the first listen i don't feel that way now or maybe i should say it bothers me less but i do think that this one I don't know. I felt like this one could have been cooking for a little while longer. Maybe they could have taken the lyrics for another pass. There's a line, give me just a minute. I'm working on a system. What? Okay. But the groove is great. The cowbell's wonderful. I love the break in the middle for the middle eight. Great harmony. Love the fuzzy solo. Awesome stuff. I would say this song suffers as a single and it finds itself as a part of the creator album it makes yes. a lot more sense and I, I yeah i did not like it as much when it came out at first kind of inserted into the album i loved it i thought it was you know the the, yes. the order really helped this song shine i think partly why i didn't like it is the guitar work that he goes into is 
different than I think I was expecting because it starts off with kind of the build up to and then it just kind of it it almost let me down with the it was yep. it was a good riff but it seemed too subdued or less Jack White less raconteurs I don't know there was something about it that just didn't strike me as like oh that that doesn't seem like the logical progression it yes the more i listen to it the more i like it but it took me a while to warm up to this one uh, everything you said is exactly how i feel it's great as an album track and i can ultimately see why they chose it as a single because when you're listening to it in the context of the record you're like hey this is great yeah but much like almost every other song on this album it feels to me like a plane on the runway that is going very very quickly and never takes off like it's it's going fast but it never quite gets off the ground it tells you it's going to but then it doesn't ultimately and jack is usually you can kind of rely on his stuff to do that again all this is just my personal feeling on it but there's there's something that i don't know that feels safe about this record and what i love about jack music is it feels unsafe it feels dangerous it feels like it could take you into disturbing places Mm -hmm. which is ultimately what i loved about boarding house reach even though that album is a mixed bag in some ways i love its audacity this album was less audacious to me just in general and sunday driver is kind of the encapsulation of that safety it's kind of a safe rock song, you know? Okay. But that brings us to the B-side for Sunday Driver and the next track on the album, which is Now That You're Gone. Who's gonna love you if it isn't me? Never known such unhappiness Never thought it would end like this Oh, what will I do now that you're gone? that you're gone now this one very good okay so when i first got these two singles i like now that you're gone more but i also thought now that you're gone was just a rehash of many shades of black because they sound very similar but now i really do love it on its own merit and i this is one i skip to this is everything i want in a brendan benson song this song um, I love when Brenda does that Motown thing. As I mentioned, it was the B-side to Sunday Driver or the Double A or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was only our second taste of what this album would be, and Brendan brought this one to the table clearly. But Jack co-wrote most of the lyrics with Brendan. Brendan says that they were trying to purposefully mess with it so it didn't sound quite so traditional. Quote from Jack, The song has come a long way live. They came up with a whole new version of the live performance. Jack seemed very happy in interviews that the crowd knows all the lyrics when they play it live. They had to find tricks to make the low tones come through on crappy speakers because in its original iteration, you needed a subwoofer to hear the downbeats. Otherwise, it was coming across as dead air so what they did was they did something called octave manipulation on the bass and used the synthesizer pedal so that even crappy speakers could get that undercurrent bass and they used something called squawkers and tweeters to help fill the space as well and those squawkers are like wow wow you know that that thing which jack used all over boarding house reach which is what gave this one 
kind of a real boarding house reach flavor to me. Well, this song, speaking of the the danger that was missing, this song has like the guitar work that has some of that danger element to it again. The the solos on this are damn sick and nasty. Dare I say? Yeah, they're it. good. They're real good. They're very charged and electric, and I, these solos were everything that I wanted on Sunday Driver and didn't get. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I love the harmony, too, on this one. There's that doo-wop group quality, and that's when Jack in interviews jokingly refers to this song as new-wop because it sounded like doo-wop but updated. (laughs) And they called other things on the album different versions of wop, like who-wop for songs that sounded like the who. (laughs) But yeah, this was their new-wop version. Beautiful singing from Brendan. Beautiful lyrics. That ending guitar trade-off is great. I love that. I love when they do it live. They kind of do that back and forth. Yeah, him fingering the frets on there is crazy. During the the, the little back and forth, the... Yeah. He's just just fretting. Like, that's what I want, is those kinds of weird he's slamming the desk i'm slamming the desk paul i'm excited about the fretting fretting (laughs) about the fretting well that brings us to live a lie and what i find to be kind of the low point of the album this and the next song but i know tam davis will disagree with us but yeah i i also it's not my favorite Brendan wrote the riff to Live a Lie, and Jack insisted Brendan do the vocals since he doesn't get to do the heavier rock vocals often. Apparently, the whole band encouraged Brendan to sing it, and Brendan does do a great job vocally of of course the performances are always nice even if i don't care for the songs brendan wrote the lyrics inspired by an article patrick keeler talked about pertaining to relationships wherein one person is in denial about the other person's cheating but was happy living in that denial so what i don't know can't hurt me kind of thing jack describes the song as um a a punk Detroit garage rock sounding song. My thoughts on it are it's a middle of the road Brendan tune. It sounds like track eight from a solo album of his. I don't particularly spin that often or sounds like one of the songs from Consolers that I am completely checked out of. Like there's elements of Consolers that I am extremely engaged in and there's elements of Consolers that I find to sound like noise and this is kind of that for me a little bit i do like the wordplay of the i just want to lie with you versus i just want to live a lie with you that's kind of nice and yeah i don't know ultimately i want to cut this thing and put i'm your puppet i'm your puppet <laughs> is very good but they already have a cover on here paul you can't do two covers that's insane i don't know i don't know i don't mean to crap all over this song like that again the performances are nice it's just to me it sounds like a consoler's throwaway it's Nothing. I'm okay with consoler throwaways, Paul. I've been aching for consoler throwaways. So <laughs> live a lie. You can live right here. I will live a lie with you. I will lie with you. Am I saying I'm going to sleep with this song? I think so. You might. Anyway, this song is, it's not my favorite. I agree that it's its not as stimulating as some of the others. Yeah. But it's good. It's definitely good. It's got the hold up kind of vibe to it or attention or something. You know, it's 
gritty. It's got some some heavy rock to it, some push behind from the band. It's I like it. It's good song. It hold, it is good song. So hold up and attention. Those are skip songs for me. I like them. I will listen to them as I will listen to Live a Lie. Yeah, well, I won't, I'm not saying I won't listen to it. Why, like, do, every, you, why do you hate the Rack and Tours so much, Paul? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying it's not a favorite. Like even no, I, rack, even I'm, bad Rack and Tour songs are still good songs. I, I just I don't know. Yeah. They're not. No, I'm with, I'm with you. It's, it's one of my. If I were to label a skip song on this album, I would say this is one of the skip songs. Yeah, well, I'm about to hit another skip song for me, which is What's Yours is Mine. So I, that one's got some stank on it. <laughs> so this song started off as a riff that Jack did in the studio and the rhythm section just joined in. Jack wrote the lyrics thinking about what Native Americans think about land ownership as a concept. There is no ownership of land. Land is the earth and the earth will never be yours. Jack is basically trolling capitalists with this. The biggest insult you can tell a capitalist is the phrase, what's yours is mine, and insists people don't know what socialism actually means. Oh, I had no idea. Yes. Look at Jack burning it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jack says that this one could have been in the dead weather, says that they pushed each other in the band to go places they wouldn't normally go with this one. You know, my first note is, hey, it's a song, and Jack's on it. <laughs> and, and it's weird that I don't really love this because it's got a lot of Lazaretto on it, and the tempo changes are nice. I think it's a little just forgettable. It's it's aggressive. There's gimmicks on it that I like, but to me, I don't know. You know, it's just not my favorite. You know, I like this one. It's like what Jack said. Could have been in the dead weather. It should have been a dead weather song. Allison would have given some slinky, sexy vocals to this. I, I think it could have been really gritty and grimy. But, you know, I think it works in this context as well. It's really interesting to hear the tours do something like the dead weather because you really don't get that kind of interplay between his bands. Typically, I mean, occasionally you'll get a blues song out of some of his other iterations that could have been a White Stripes kind of deal, but you really don't see that interplay often. He keeps his band concepts pretty separate, and this is one instance in which it doesn't. I would say Impossible Winner is another instance in which mm-hmm. the concept is kicked out the window, and I like that. I'm, so I, I'm, I'm into it. I'm there for it. Yeah, I like this one more than Live a Lie. I think this one would have made a great b-side just personally but on an album of i think stronger material this one feels a little more unformed but that brings us james to the finale thoughts and prayers one of my favorite uh, songs in the album i love this one This 
one, you talk about impossible winner. This one has a lot of impossible winner vibes for me. This one feels an awful lot like a a swing for a fence that they they just don't normally swing for. Mm-hmm. Jack wrote this one and demoed it in more of a sad minor key country song kind of way, but Brendan changed it to be more of a major key sounding thing. Jack says that the character in this song is in a timeless war zone, so a little donovan in there as well yeah playing with some of that type of imagery the band knew that this had to be the last song on the record when they recorded it jack called it baba o'reilly-esque okay it's got the same feeling as a as a carolina drama yeah as an end tag to the album it's very mythic it's got it's got some legendary quality to it and yes. I, I like the word timeless for it however i will uh, point out that it is inserting a time in there yes. with the Sullivan Baloo, but mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to get to that. Yeah, so, well, let's talk about that. So this is okay. about the Civil War. Timeless. <laughs> I mean, I think Jack is using the Civil War in a nondescript way and is maybe looking at a timeless war zone through the lens of the Civil War. The character in the song writing his thoughts and prayers, literally his thoughts and prayers, and and Jack lamented in interviews that he does not care for the fact that thoughts and prayers has become a throwaway phrase in modern pop culture, which is why a lot of people assume this song was political. Mm-hmm. And, and it might it might be on a subtle level, but all right, so we'll we'll talk about what you're what you mentioned there. So there's a lyric that says, I wrote a letter for you like I'm Sullivan Ballou, who was an officer in the Union Army. He is remembered, and this is via Wikipedia, so take it for what it's worth, but he is remembered for an eloquent letter he wrote to his wife two weeks before he was killed in the first Battle of Bull Run. In his now famous letter to his wife, Baloo endeavored to express the emotions he was feeling, worry, fear, guilt, sadness, and the pull between his love for her, his wife, and his sense of duty to the nation. This is an excerpt from the letter. Forgive my many faults and the many pains I have caused you, how thoughtless and foolish I have often been, how gladly I would wash out with my tears every little spot upon your happiness and struggle with all the misfortune of this world to shield you and my children from harm, but I cannot. I must watch you from the spirit land and hover near you while you buffet the storms with your precious little freight and wait with sad patience till we meet to part no more bummer town usa this letter was never mailed it was found in blue's trunk after he died so that's a sad story very sad the civil war was a sad time a lot of people died <laughs> uh, one thing not sad on this uh, lily may and scarlet rishi dueling fiddles and mandolin at the end and jack describes lily may as a five foot dynamo <laughs> lily wow tripled her fiddle at the end by her own request with Scarlett adding the mandolin as an accent. So what you're hearing at the end there is three Lily Mays and a Scarlet furiously scribbling at a fiddle. <laughs> and it really does. It makes the song it makes the song feel epic and grandiose. You know, the lyrics are sad, but they they do have that jack reverence to them that he often puts in these types of songs. I'll just read a stanza here. I used to give my friends a call. Now there's no one left at all. I think my father used to say, there's got to be a different way to make myself feel okay. Or maybe that's just 
how he used to pray. Yeah. Wonderful lyric. Poetry. Great lyric. Really nice lyric. The fiddle at the end explodes into that solo in such a way that it's like it delicately explodes, I think is the best way I could describe it. Because then you, in my head, I'm just flying through the air with this kind of deal. Like it, it brings such weird synesthesia when I hear that solo. It's really, really good. The It perfectly fits everything about it. And it's got that Americana feel, which lends itself to the Civil War stuff. And the Civil War stuff, I mean, cements it in my brain now as a consoler's follow-up. Yeah. Because the consoler's era was so heavily inspired by the 1860s. You know, this really is the continuation of it, and it makes it feel like the raconteurs. I don't know. There's something about this song that just fits every single box oh, yeah. that I wanted that I yeah. wanted from uh, this album. This I one, wanted this song, and I got this it. This one, it checks my boxes, too. Absolutely. In, in a way, I feel like this song has the payoff I was looking for in other songs, like Sunday Driver. Yes. Uh, where there's the escalation that soars. And this is the yes. only one to me that soars. And you know what did it? Lily Mae Rishi. Yay. And we're going to have some cool Lily Mae coming up later in the later in the season. So everybody stay tuned for that. That's the Raconteurs Help a Stranger. Let's get into some real quick reception here. I'm just going to blow through some of this stuff sure. and not really dwell on this too much. But Help a Stranger debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard Top 200 with nice. 88,000 album equivalent units of which 84,000 were pure album sales, which is a lot. And it was the Raconteur's first U.S. number one album. The next week, it fell to number 45, becoming the eighth largest drop from the number one on the chart's history. There's a whole article about this if you want to read up about it. A lot of people credit this becoming number one and its sales to the fact that if you bought a ticket to go see the Raconteur's live in the summer, you got a free copy of the album, and that is counted toward the top 200 album sales. The raconteurs are not the only culprits of this. A lot of other people had this. I think Madonna is close to the record, if not the record holder. I forget who the record holder is, but Madonna packaged her new album similarly, got a huge burst, and then had a titanic drop. I, I don't know. In my mind, people who are going to see the show are still raconteurs fans. They're still getting the record i'm conflicted i think some of it has to do with fervency of the jack white fan base and that day one they'll get the album yeah and day two through 60 you know you have some stragglers but i I know i was there on the day that the album came out yeah well i mean to your point ultimately vinyl sales were what attributed by in many people's minds for this edging out little nas x from the top spot whose single Old Town Road was really kind of dominating. This is via the New York Times. Little Nas X may be the current king of streaming, thanks to his unstoppable single Old Town Road, but old-fashioned live rock and roll and vinyl sales combined to keep him from the number one spot. Help a Stranger, the new LP by Jack White's Tours, tops the Billboard album charts this week, thanks largely to a bundle that combined the release with tickets to the band's summer tour, as well as what Billboard said was 25,000 vinyl LPs sold the largest vinyl sales week of the year so far and the sixth largest since 1991. Damn. Help a Stranger, the group's first chart topper, finished its debut week with 88,000 in traditional sales, physical or digital, according to the Nielsen compilation there. Uh, it charted around the world as well. Australia, number 23. Austria, number 7. Belgium, number 8. 
I guess another Belgian chart at number 26, Canada at number two in Canada. Good for them. Dutch albums at number 10, France at number 22, Germany at number 14, Ireland number 24, Italy 34, Japan 84, New Zealand 38, Poland 28. You got to get out there, Poles. Come on. Portugal 25. Scotland 6, Spain 18, Switzerland 6, UK albums at number 8, and then it went on to hold the top spot on the not only the US Billboard Top 200, but the US Top Alternative Albums, Top Rock Albums, and the Rolling Stone 200. So really had a nice successful run. Whether or not you want to take something away with that for the ticket sales i personally can see both sides but ultimately don't i think i think by any metric you're looking at this album is successful agreed mostly favorable reviews as well although most of the reviews center along center around the idea that people are happy someone is making this type of music not necessarily the music itself via pop matters the next time your cranky baby boomer uncle bitches about the lack of good rock music being made these days you can throw him a copy of Help us, stranger, and he'll probably shut up. Is the um, <laughs> highlight from the Pop Matters one, Pitchfork, which was really cruel to the album, did have this to say: the Raconteurs make the strongest case for themselves through competent workmanlike song construction. They've built a rock record that is sequenced perfectly, sturdy but never stayed. And uh, they go on to say there are a few surprises on Help Us Stranger, but that tends to be the case when you're in the hands of capable adults. Wow. And then um, lastly here, I'll just read from Spin. Help Us Stranger is a preservationist work attempting to do what record labels seemingly cannot, contextualize an erstwhile apex genre. Oh, boy. (laughs) On Boarding House Reach, that meant indulgent autorism and uh rapping here it means colliding virtuistic instrumental flash into grown-up gloom artfully rendered anguish found out of time hear us stranger and that's it james um radio x asked jack and brandon about a new album and they said they have tons of songs left over and they'd love to do it and hopefully they will not have another 11-year gap between records, as well as Brendan Benson's got a solo album on the horizon, which he says is done already and hopefully coming out on Third Man. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. I mean, he's he's involved now. He's got ha- half a boy, half a man in there. So James, really cool to hear that. And uh, very much looking forward to a new Rax album. And I'm super happy that we got this. And thank you, Paul, for going over this. Yeah, this has been fun. Should we rate the record? I think we should. Well, I think you should explain the rating system. Oh, I'd love to, Paul. <laughs> the rating system that we have, it's based not out of 10 or out of 5 stars, those kinds of things that normal people do, because we tend to steer towards liking almost everything these guys do in a sycophantic sort of way. So every record would be 7 or above. You know, we can't do that. That's just ridiculous. So instead, we've come up with a system out of three men, a one man, We would give the album one man if we like it. We would give the album two men if we love it. And we'd give the album three men, Paul, if we've got to have it. It's the Coldstone Creamery system, and it is uh, patented, foolproof, and great. It is patented, foolproof, and great. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I'll go first, sure. All right, James. Uh, When we first heard about this album, I think I felt the same way that everybody who was a Raconteurs fan felt, which was finally we're getting something from this band we thought was dead. Yeah. 
we got Sunday Driver, and now that you're gone, real quick, right out of the gate, and, uh, you know, they were solid. It was good. It felt, even though they, you know, they might not have felt like the best songs to us at the time, it felt like Jack White and the Rack and Tours were back for the first time after Boarding House Reach, which we've been on the record as saying we like, and though that was the end of the Jack drought, this felt like the beginning of Jack getting back into the swing of things or the raconteurs getting back into the swing of things. We heard something that sounded different yet familiar. And I like that he was delivering, you know, something that was both new and maintained the roots in which we have grown to become accustomed to. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you know, that is what it is. You know, I pre-ordered it right away. Got it. Love this album. I, Bought it from an independent record store here in Bethlehem, actually. They now know me as the Tours guy because I would call <laughs> incessantly making sure that I had my pre-order for the independent record store version. And they were like, yeah, you do. Don't worry, dude. Um, and uh, anytime they get a vault in now, they call me to tell me that somebody traded in a vault and you know, ask me if I want it. So they give me first dibs. That's cool. Uh, Anyway, so I bought the CD that the store was playing. It was the in-store version of the CD. So I got the CD the day before it came out, technically, because of the pre-order situation. I got both the CD and the vinyl the day before it officially came out. And I blasted that through the streets of Bethlehem, just loving every second of it. I was finally able to do it. This album was a return to form. It might not be perfect, but it's exactly what I needed at the time. Paul, I give this 2.75 men. Wow, that's very high. Yes. And I'm glad to hear that this album brought you so much joy. It brought me a lot to, I was similarly relieved to hear the raconteurs back. I, I did get that sense of, oh, good, they're back. And, you know, you wrap your self in it like a warm blanket. I've already kind of talked on this show about how I feel in terms of it not maybe being as not experimental but groundbreaking as I've come to expect Jack material to be felt a little safe at the very least Consolers was a change in direction and you know that's usually what you get with most Jack projects I mean maybe the biggest non-change in direction before this was Blunderbuss to Lazaretto and that's kind of funny because Lazaretto is my favorite Jack stuff or, you know, one of two of my favorite Jack albums. So I don't know, maybe it's just the strength of that material versus the strength of this material. But, you know, ultimately, I think the performances, the songwriting, the fact that they're having fun, it just felt fun again. It made Third Man stuff feel fun. And even though I love the audacity of Boarding House Reach, Boarding House Reach felt like I was being challenged I described it to a friend as it felt like Jack wanted me to fight with the record, (laughs) pick a fight with it, and win the fight. I felt like Boarding House Beach was a challenge. This one I felt like was a hug or a pat on the back or a high five or something like that. Don't worry, like rock and roll's still here. Don't worry about it. You know, but when it comes right down to it, I love rock and roll. And there's a reason why I like this music to begin with. And I think Help a Stranger kind of sums all that up. It sums up exactly kind of what I'm looking for in rock and roll, but ultimately falls short of giving me that little extra that I like, that little angel dust, that little fairy dust that's sprinkled on Jack stuff. So I think that's PCP, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> but I like the album a lot. I put this one on a lot. You know, it's a very listenable record. And I, ultimately, I think I give this one two men. 
All right. Solid rating. Yeah. Solid two. All right. Well, that's our ratings for Help Us Stranger. Paul, what do you say we get to our third man this week? Oh, let's do it. We'd like to welcome our third man this week. We've got friend of the show, Joe Shaken all over. It's Josh Aiken. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Josh. How are you? Hey, I'm fantastic. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Hi, Josh. Hey. <laughs> Paul, what's, what's going on, Paul? What are you Paul? wearing? Uh, <laughs> got my white stripes Lucy shirt on today. You know, got to represent. <laughs> well, that was that was a hell of a way to start this interview. I've, I've been I've been trying to. I've been that's about as sexy as I, yeah, I've been I've been t- trying that one on. I'm thinking about ask, starting all the interviews that way. You know, just asking every guest. Well, thanks uh, for uh, thanks for coming on. We've been interacting with you, and you've hung out with James. I we we've never hung out, but we eventually will, I assume. And anyway, absolutely. thanks for coming. We appreciate all the support, Josh. Really appreciate. Yeah. Yes, seriously. I appreciate you guys. I think I mentioned something in Messenger to James, like when we were actually at the show, so many of the people there were kind of like going by their Third Men podcast names, and it was just kind of <laughs> really an awesome thing that you guys are actually making the Jack White universe smaller and making everybody feel like more connected. So it's really awesome to be part of the show now and be joining on today. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I was very happy to hear that because we heard from you and we heard from... Well, I don't want to spoil it when we're telling the show later, but we heard from other people who are at the show who said the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, so you're, you're on the show today to talk about a Rack and Tours show that you saw. Is this your how many now? How many times have you seen the Help a Stranger tour? Was it just this once, or have you seen? Other, oh, obviously, you so, saw the 10 year anniversary show. Right? Yeah, it was at the 10 year anniversary. I was at the Blue Room the very first night where they played the entire album all the way through. Whoa, Whoa. nice! Yeah, that was definitely a fun one. Uh, and uh, went up to Detroit. Uh, Adam Kenny dropped his tickets and basically found a flight at the last second and went up to Detroit and saw him play there where Meg White was in the uh, sidelines. Oh, man. So, right. De- right. Definitely had some really good opportunities to see the band this uh, year for sure. I forgot you went to see the, the other Nashville show because I, I remember you telling me that that wasn't originally in the plan and you wound up getting there. And I think you had to fly separately from your wife because she wasn't going to that one as well, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I got the tickets like while I was there and like I had to get them to move my uh, flight so I could get back. But yeah, uh, yeah that, that sounded like a hell of a show because that was the first time they played Thoughts and Prayers and then they wouldn't play it again for like a long time that's live. right i yeah. thought i forgot they played it there what did they do during the fiddle bit so it's hard to even remember at the blue room session just because you didn't know what song was which at that time true because yeah. we, right. no, no one had even heard it so i don't think i could remember back to that point and say which song was thoughts and prayers and how was it coordinated uh, yeah but there was no fiddle uh, on that stage right. that night so i can't really say exactly how or when that song was even played, but they played it every song in order. So I guess it was the last song of that before the encore with like, they did a couple like Blue Veins and a couple of their original tracks like uh, Steady As She Goes. So Nice. Yeah, so that was the Blue Room session. That was, uh, that was a while ago now. It was funny. Yeah. It was funny though. Like I saw the show with James and saw the Blue Room session on the first night and I, the tickets for the rest of the concert was basically released while everyone was waiting in line at the Blue Room session. So yeah. <laughs> Ben Blackwell was there and like telling us, hey, by the way, it's about to be released, you know, and 
So it's kind of a unique experience to be there to like start booking my shows. And I'm just like, well, I've already spent all this money to get out to Nashville. I'm already <laughs> seeing them in the blue room. How can it get better than this? And <laughs> I, I honestly like was like, it really can't be topped. I'm just not going to buy any more tickets this year. And then Adam Kenny uh, opened that opportunity up for Detroit. I'm like, how could I miss a chance to go to Detroit, see the cast? Yeah. And yeah. like, it's surprising, like I, how much it changes from show to show and how much depth has really come to the band and this tour because by the time they got to Detroit uh, what uh, maybe maybe like three or four months later they just their sound and their performances and the level that they were playing at just dramatically increased yeah I think me and Paul both noticed that I think we've both mentioned it on the show also I mean I you were also at the 10-year show did you notice like the the rust on the band that evening because i i certainly i mean i was farther back and i wasn't as my head wasn't as in the game because i was concentrating on making sure ariel was comfortable because she was pregnant at the time but every time i think back to it the show seemed a little more disjointed than a typical tour show and then now that i saw them a few sets into their tour uh, they they've polished it up and it's just pure tours now uh, did you did you get that feeling as well from the the tenure, or was that just me being kind of? I don't think anybody could have walked away from that show and not thought that to some extent because it's just with uh, Jack's pedal board going out, Brendan Benson yeah, yeah. not remembering <laughs> lyrics. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I absolutely cannot say that Patrick Keeler missed a single note or like I mean he just killed it that night. So well, he's he's a professional. The rest are goons. <laughs> I don't know how a guy with that much power and feel maintains the robotic like precision that he does as well he's really an incredible drummer i mean maybe one of the best i've ever seen live he, he's got that he's just he yeah I, like we said never misses a beat seems infallible up there it seems superhuman and yeah. you can see like just the power of that rhythm section with little jack uh, with them i mean they just seem like two people with one heartbeat i mean it, those two together like it doesn't matter what yeah. band they're in they just have that dynamic together which carried on into the show that we're going to be talking about today so, yeah right. which uh, is a great segue into into that which you saw a show in denver recently correct is yeah that- yeah so that show was actually released after that first batch so it happened that they had a show in denver where my nephew lives on my birthday so i was like hey uh <laughs> looks like i'm buying myself an early birthday present so. <laughs> so. that's something i always wanted to do is go to a concert like of like a jack white concert on my birthday but it's it's so rarely do the things kind of meet up like that yeah, I, I didn't do like the like get in the car and pop over in the line at like two a.m. in the morning and just stand in line. So I didn't get there till like probably like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And I had a early entry ticket for another show earlier this year at the Red Hat Amphitheater from Raleigh, and they were like, "Hey, doesn't anyone have an early entry pass?" And I'm like, "Oh, here's my email right here." He's like, "Okay, well here, just go and get in that line." And they put me into the front and early entry line, even though I didn't have an early entry ticket. Holy. <laughs> Yeah, but I I didn't want to cheat. I was going to pop out of the line. I I kind of felt bad about it after a few seconds, but then somebody that was already up there had a ticket uh, and didn't have a plus one, so I joined on her plus one and was in the front of the line for the early entry. We got into the front center middle of the concert, so if you go to the, like, pictures of the night, you'll see, like, them bowing and, like, me with my hand spread wide in the front middle. Yeah, we saw one where you can see uh, three of our, our... 
podcast listeners, uh, yourself included, uh, Brett Garski and Luke Sinclair, you can see all three of you guys in the bowing shot, which is really awesome. That's a really cool souvenir. Oh, yeah. Uh, Garski was literally right behind me in line, and uh, we hugged and took a picture, uh, sent it to you guys. And <laughs> yeah. 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 It was it was actually like talking to brothers. They were completely awesome. That's great. Have you guys, have you all met before? Because I know we're all kind of in the same Jack White related Facebook circles online sometimes. No, I hadn't met either one of them before. So I obviously heard the names in the podcast and had that connection instantly, but uh, we have started closing in our circles together and I've started like interconnecting with him. Uh, he just got married. Uh, congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Brett Garski. Yeah. yeah. Like it, talk about a great uh, honeymoon is going to a racketeurs concert. So <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. He's got a great blog, the brettgarskywrites.com blog, where he, you know, details all the different shows he's seen. We've read a few on the show in the past, and he actually detailed the one you guys saw together, too, and posted a couple photos from, I guess, from the, you know, the official site and things. And it's, what I love is that because Jack, because Swanson is taking photos at every show, and we are always getting those bow shots, it's turned into a real Where's Waldo for everybody who... Mm -hmm is going to see it who was close and it's kind of a nice little not just a souvenir for you guys because you were able to spot yourselves but for you know for everybody else who was able to get close and things i really like that they that they do that i wish every band took photos of every show they ever played you know yeah Yeah, well at the if you look closely at the bowing shot at the anthem in washington dc you can see a tiny speck and that's me yeah, I'm all the way up at the third third floor balcony, all the way in the back. <laughs> and if you concentrate real hard, you can kind of you know just get my essence. Mm-hmm. It really shows up there. Yeah, but, I, I, he's been doing it since what the Blunderbuss tour was the uh, first time he started it. So I think so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know for sure he was doing it through all, throughout the Boarding House Reach tour. He was doing a lot of those bowing shots. Yeah. But what's great is, well, I guess, like, the Instagram component was introduced during Boarding House Reach. But, yeah, the show photos, I think, really started during Blunderbuss as a way to deter digital photos. What's great, though, is that on their website, you can still go and look at all those old shows. They don't delete their archive. So, for instance, I was going in and doing some photo albums for 2012, and I was able to go back and save any photos that I maybe hadn't <laughs> from it, previous stuff. So they that do is something they... They, they make them savable, too. They don't make it so that, you know, they're yes. as protected, which, you know, is really nice for the fans who can do what you're doing, Paul, and putting it in a photo album or, you know, printing it out and putting it on a, your wall. Yeah. Or paying the wow. $60 for a print or whatever. The yeah. Right. Price is. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I would be lying if I said I didn't consider it. Um, <laughs> I'd be interested in talking to somebody who did, because I wonder what you get. Like, I mean, obviously you get the print, but I wonder, like, what's the advantage there? Or uh, My buddy, when we went to the 10-year anniversary, when we were waiting for the Blue Room session, they actually started releasing the prints. So they are darkroom prints, so they're actually, like, using the chemicals and, you know, old school. Mm-hmm. Oh, surprise, surprise, Jack White does that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so between oh sorry go ahead. oh yeah they they could not put them out fast enough. There's people trying to buy them all day for the 10 year anniversary that and it it takes some time. So I mean, I'm even though you're paying a high dollar amount, it is a process yeah. and it's actually a lot of money uh, spent trying to produce something that's quality. So I do appreciate that out of what he does. I, yeah. I never get the sense, and that's one thing that I appreciate about Third Man. Even if there is a high cost. 
you're usually getting a great product for your for the value like there's a there's a sense that that the people at third man want to make sure that you are not wasting your money if it's something you're interested in getting and i love that they don't assume that everyone will get everything but they make stuff for the people who do get everything it's kind of a considerate way to run a business and i i've heard people gripe about oh the cost and this and that but like you know, if you're a casual fan, they have stuff for you. If you are an obsessive fan, then they have stuff for you, you know? So it's, I, uh, I always appreciate that about what they do. Was, there's always those questionable items of like the $60 Lego <laughs> pieces. I saw that. I, oh, yeah. Look, I, again, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about it. Uh, the the no, little mini But figs, no casual but... fan is picking those up though. Like that's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. On top of making sure that the quality is high for the product. They're also trying to make sure that the people who are making the product are getting paid, you know, a decent amount. And so that's, yeah, they put up occasionally third man records, booty shorts and for a kind of high price, are people buying them? I have no idea. Probably not the booty shorts, but (laughs) uh, they, they have like the pocket knife and that pocket knife is ridiculously expensive. I think it's on sale now for like $140 or something, but it's a really good, pocket knife and it's like a the product that that person sells all kind of runs at that range of price so right. you know if it's a quality thing they're also trying to make people get paid it's it's nice but yeah the lego minifigs i'm i'm shocked they're selling those honestly those and the other lego stuff because i feel like uh lego is a pretty litigious brand but eh. so between the three of us we've seen a lot of different legs of this tour in terms of like the band getting better and better and better and now we're sort of in the latter half you know the tour is maybe winding down uh you guys were there at the start i saw a cluster of shows in the june july region you know james you saw some over the summer as well and now josh what i'm most curious about is what the vibe and the sound is in October <laughs> uh, versus what the sound and the vibe was throughout the other times you saw it. So uh, do you get the sense that the band is still engaged and happy? Because that's that's very much the sense I got. The sense I got was, you know, seeing the shows around the time of the album's release, they had just found out the album was number one. They're very happy about that. They seemed kind of skippy, happy-go-lucky, smiley, jokey on the stage, seemed very comfortable, seemed very in sync with each other. At this point, a few months later, you know, a significant chunk of time, they, they all must be tired. Jack's got those sideburns now. Who can explain those? What is the vibe on the stage? So, I mean, I was curious about the same thing because uh, they had a show in Dallas the night before, and it's a 12-hour trip from Dallas to Colorado. So, you know, are they going to be tired? How is that going to affect the show? And the previous show that y'all just did was the opening band's show for jack and we had a new opening band so i was kind of like looking at that perspective a little more heavily because yeah. of that sh- because of that episode mm-hmm. the energy level did not subside just because of any of those distractions that came out the opening band uh the districts which is, i think is the first time and the only time they're uh playing with them if i'm correct on that mm. uh they That's were cool they my nephew described them as almost killers like uh with uh, okay. kind of a feel of like little Mars Volta Ike Owens on the keyboard uh not as much energy in the performance as far as the keyboards but the sound and like the like the omnipresence of that organ kind of coming about
started out just with a pretty solid song. It wasn't anything special. It just kind of seemed like a good opener band, and just every single song by the opening band just created more and more energy until like it was almost an explosion by the last song, and people were all, were chanting for an encore from the opening band, wow. and it was just <laughs> they really just absolutely won the crowd over and. The energy was just so high energy. Everybody was just kind of talking about the opening band as they left the stage and were cleaning up, congratulating them as they were just kind of taking their instruments off. And wow, yeah, I don't, I don't think that happens too often with Jack's opening. Like I saw the Jacuzzi Boys, and I don't think anybody was cheering for more. <laughs> Not, no offense to the Jacuzzi Boys, but I think everybody was ready for the racks. Uh, but Alabama I mean, Shakes, I, the Am- the... Alabama Shakes is the one yeah, that comes that... to mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the times, yeah. You know, the band came out, and like the obviously the crowd just starts getting to a volume level and they try to reach that with their instruments before they start breaking out songs and like they just kind of have this noise that kicks up and then they just took into board and raise and just the energy level just never ceased Uh, it was just every single song the gap between them was minimal besides communication the interplay between them as far as like like you were saying paul like whether they're having a good time you could just see the look between their eyes when they make eye contact between songs to pick the next song the little shoving and the Jack yeah. grabbing the neck of Prince guitar. Uh, <laughs> Dean seemed more engaged at this show than I saw them at him at previous shows. Like he seems like a full-fledged member of the band more so than just kind of like our little hidden, like <laughs> poor Dean musical weapon. You know? <laughs> Why? Why won't they? At this point, just do it. Like just pull the trigger. Bring it in. Uh, yeah. I mean, he definitely does not subtract from the band. He adds so much. No. So, I mean, yeah. I, well, he's a I vital mean, component of the band, and yet he is not at any of the meet and greets and doesn't sign any of the stuff. It's very odd. And he started to make it onto the posters. I mean, Rob Jones threw him on the poster on this tour, and I mean, that's true. So we're starting to see a little bit come from him. So I, they do mention him on stage at least. So that yeah. at least there's some, you know. <laughs> They're not just ignoring this man playing keyboards with the light up raconteurs colors. He always gets the hard jobs. Like he was, I mean, he, they brought him in to take over for Ike. That must've been an awkward thing too. And like, they don't treat him as an official member of the band, but he kind of is like, he, I don't know. I guess it's nice to have, I guess maybe the dead weather is an example of, you know, well, he, he was in at the start on that one. It's more, he's a part of the band as opposed to a support person, you know? He never seems yeah. like he wants to make a high profile out of himself. I mean, even in interviews yeah. with the Dead Weather, he kind of kind of moves towards the shadow. He's kind of the Meg White of the right. Dead Weather. Yeah, I guess you'll have to kick it with that other extremely high profile band he has, the Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's fantastic in them as well. I saw them at yes. the anthem. Does the kind of the same thing he does with the raconteurs. He jumps from instrument to instrument and just kind of just adds yeah. to what everybody else is doing. He's never trying to put his performance to the forefront but everything he does really does increase the value of the whole performance you know it's funny we uh, james and i obviously big beetle people and we see ringo usually and there is an auxiliary player called mark rivera Mm -hmm. who plays with ringo who jumps around from instrument to instrument and does all the kind of funky things and the the things you wouldn't expect like cowbell and woodblock or whatever and uh mark comes from bill joel's band and I never knew all these. I just recently learned that he is secretly the band leader. Like he's the musical arranger for the tour. Really? Hmm. Never knew that. 
And I'm huh. wondering now, it would be wonderful if Dean Fertitta was secretly the musical director <laughs> of the band. <laughs> He's certainly not, but that would be amazing. Oh, absolutely. When uh, they played uh, You Don't Understand Me and Jack gets on the keyboard and has that little like single note kind of like yeah. solo. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, him and uh, Dean were having some interplay between the organ and the keyboard, and it, <laughs> it sounded, like, so amazing. Like, it, it's funny, like, all the little fills that you heard and kind of, like, were amazed by in the previous show, you're like, how can it get better? And, like, the little fills like that and, like, the little moments that you start seeing, you're just, like, your jaw drops and, like, you're like, did I just experience that? And, I mean, that's the... The feel of not having a set list, the feel of them wanting to make it different every single night, and the energy they bring just is unmatched to anything I've ever seen. I, this was the band that really drove me into the world of Third Man Records, and after ha- seeing how many Jack White shows and how many Rector shows and seeing so many divisions of Jack throughout the years, I've probably gone to like 40, 50 shows now, and like getting that fatigue of seeing the same artist and at that point i thought you know i'm just gonna see a mediocre show and i was blown out of the water they they really did an amazing job that seems to be the the going rate for these shows because me and paul both experienced that and everyone we seem to talk to has has had a similar experience where they're like well it couldn't possibly be like the old days and it's exactly like the old days and it feels as fresh as it ever has it feels like rock and roll you know it's just nice to have rock and roll back and have people who look like they enjoy playing it and that doesn't sound like it was made for a ford commercial and like it's just it's nice to have that rock back and it actually it's funny when listening to the rack and tours and seeing especially seeing these shows it's reaffirming to me in a sense because you know you wonder like is it is rock and roll just something that I that you enjoy because it's familiar or that's been around forever, but I don't know. These guys really find a way to make it fresh, James, like you said. Keep it exciting, and that's, you know, lacking in a lot of rock these days, and they're giving you the real meat and potatoes. They're giving you the real the real deal up there. Level of danger alone just keeps yeah. the suspense running. Uh, it's, it's funny. A lot of people compare the Reconteurs to Led Zeppelin, and I... I don't hear it as much as maybe somebody else would, but I see it absolutely in the performances and just the level that they're playing at. I mean, it's seeing Led Zeppelin live versus seeing the Raconteurs live. It's almost a very similar experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, clearly they are getting tired uh, a little bit in that they had to cancel a meet and greet, I think, and a signing because of exhaustion. They're going from one show, a 12-hour flight, to another show or a 12-hour drive to another show so they're they're doing a lot of shows but it doesn't that exhaustion doesn't seem to uh affect them on stage at all and their performances are just getting better and better seemingly i was very very uh happy to see them jumping around like normal and playing as many covers as i was expecting more covers even even than i was expecting at my show josh they play any covers at the the denver show other than donovan that was the only cover they really played so nothing really okay anything out of the usual but the the one thing that really made me happy is that all the shows that i've been to this uh go round i've never seen the rectors play broken boy soldiers and when that came on uh, that was that was it for me i i lost it <laughs> <laughs> that's great nice. yeah I like the arrangement, too, that they're giving it. I like all the arrangements of that song. It's not a favorite of mine on the record, but I like hearing it live, especially when, I mean, Jack was doing an acoustic version. 
I think at one point, right, uh, during the Boarding House Reach tour, that was really cool, and it's a versatile song, a song that can wear a lot of different hats. It's definitely a song that gets the the audience going for sure, and just the bass fills that were put in there, Little Jack did some really crazy stuff on the bass that night. He's really starting to come into his own as far as just knowing the material and having, like, little things that add something new, so I... I really wish like they would go back and re-record some of the albums after a tour and like yeah I mean just because now that you're gone uh, like we got the re-recording of that at Fame Studios right uh, yeah. and that one went from low energy to high energy but I think the even the high energy songs would take a real big impact by what these tours have really added to them so it, now five on the five is technically that they played that on tour. Uh, the entire Broken Boy Soldiers tour, and then recorded it for an album. So, which had a, a really high energy and adept at cr- making that song. So, yeah, that's that's almost exactly what you're talking about. Except we just didn't know what the song was really until it was on the album. Well, I think that's why I like Lazaretto so much. One of the many reasons I like Lazaretto so much is because that one is fresh off tour. It feels like you know the band was just in sync coming off that bl- blunderbuss tour, and tell me why the energy of that live performance to me is still there in the tracks. Yeah, <laughs> man, I, I love Lazaro's tour. It was absolutely one of the best. Blunderbuss was probably my favorite of the three Jack White tours. I think just that initial like having the difference of the two bands every night and switching them up at a drop of a hat, and I think that was yeah what really probably my favorite tour of Jack's. Now let's take a quick poll here amongst the three of us. We just talked about, you know, uh, Josh, your point of I wish they would go back and record, re-record the albums is interesting. I think we may be getting another Rax album sooner than we think based on the amount of songs that they had kicking around and the amount of fun they had on this tour. Quick poll here. You guys think we got another Rax album coming next? I'm going to say no. No? I got a no from James. We have the Desert Sessions with uh, Josh Hame being uh, ramped up. So I'm assuming Josh Hame is going to be busy rather than doing Queens of the Stone Age. I uh, don't think Dean Fertitta is tied into that. Someone can prove me wrong on that. But uh, I, I think Dean Fertitta is freed up. I don't see anything holding the others back. And I think they're having fun. So I'm going to, if I was going to put my money on it, I'm going to say they're going to let it ride, throw another album out, and keep it going. See, let it ride. That's where I'm landing, too. Let I'm, it ride. I'm going to argue that I think the Dead Weather are going to put out another album next. Like you said, Dean is freed up. He's still there. Jack is still freed up. Lil Jack is still freed up. And the only person left is Allison, who is busy with her art career currently. She, um, she just had a, a fashion line come out, actually. Yeah, with, uh, well... Yeah, it was like R13, something like that. Yep. Yeah, she was and, just interviewed uh, by, by Vogue or something, right? I think I saw... She's been she's been doing like a whole bunch of interesting art-related things and fashion-related things. She did a, a shirt with one of my favorite digital artists, uh, The Avalanches. She did oh, like yeah. a shirt for The Avalanches. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, cool. whoa, that's awesome. It was like a one-day-only shirt for a charity. Yeah. And uh, I considered getting it. It was, I think, $60. I think that... <laughs> That seems to be that seems to be my the price range I I always go maybe I should but then I in it you know I just don't is sixty dollars so it's kind of funny how interconnected the kills and Allison Mosshart and Jamie Hens are actually tied into the fashion world obviously Jamie Hens was married to uh, the famous uh, model 
Alexander Skarsgård's always on the side of their shows. I forgot Jamie Hintz was married to a model because I remember only because I, uh, that's Kate Moss, he was I connected. Yeah, he was connected to what? Karen Elson somehow. <laughs> yep. Really? Because of that. Absolutely. Like, him and Karen Elson knew each other through his wife, which I guess was Kate Moss. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. I really don't know his deal at all. Like, I... Right. I I'm coming back for the Kills episode of... Yes. Uh, <laughs> we we are going to do a dive UN. into the Kills. We will have you on the show. <laughs> I mean, I love the Kills. I really... I very much enjoy the Kills, but I don't know any of Jamie's backstory. I just infatuated with Allison. And just a quick aside on her fashion. What I love about her fashion is that it is, it's got an androgynous almost feel at times, or at the very least, you know, it, none of it, even, you know, female clothing, anything like that is not ever sexual, at least to the way, you know, sometimes women's clothing can be skewed. Yeah. But it's the way she carries herself and her attitude that is the sexy thing that you kind of have to apply to it. And, and there's something really masterful about that. You know, I give her a lot of credit. Yeah, she makes smoking look sexy again. It's actually really awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Problematic for America's teens, but uh, we, we here at the podcast love it for some reason. Uh, but uh, um, I, I, will, I will say Jamie Hintz is probably equally as fashionable, if not more so, than even Allison. I mean, I, dude, I've, every time he plays, like, I want that man's boots so bad. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's always got a nice blazer or something. You know, it's, it's good, you know. Yeah. Didn't he have a cowboy hat or something in the uh, Doing It to Death video as well? Oh, yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, well, this is this has been back to Jack White, what are you wearing? <laughs> back to episode two. <laughs> Man, it's been a while since we did that. Josh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and talking about the Raconteur show you saw and for just talking to us. It's been too long not having you on the show. We, we needed to have the influx of, of your voice in here. I don't know what, yeah. what, what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying... Uh, we missed you on the show, and we need you here more often. Hey, I really enjoyed talking to you guys, and hope we get some more chances to in the near future. And Paul, look forward to catching you at a show sometime soon, man. Yeah, I'll be around next time you're out in L.A. Let's grab a drink and hang out. Now, real quick, I hear you do a mighty impression of us, Josh. Is this <laughs> oh, true? No. <laughs> I don't think it's ready for uh, <laughs> Okay. No. Yet. Uh, I-, I will work on it. I'll get it recorded for you guys. <laughs> I need I need to hear I need to hear this at some point, but uh because yeah. I'm I'm already yeah. I think <laughs> I'm mighty conscious of all of the things I say like too often. Paul Paul can attest uh, to this where I started saying interesting and fascinating and like way or fantastic way too much. Oh no, it's 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 always hard listening to yourself say anything and like how many times you say uh and um and it's it's impossible to listen to yourself. You guys do a fantastic job and I tease you only because I've listened to y'all now for what 106 episodes and like that's an hour and a half on average. It's a lot of time with you guys. So I mean, I I feel really close to y'all and spend enough time that I could possibly like imitate you in a loving oh. manner so it, I, it, I, so it would have been a disservice if i didn't bring it up i was i'm, <laughs> I'm flattered honestly we've, we've gotten accustomed to what we fill spaces and pauses with and things like that and you know i've gotten to the point now where i just try and edit it out as best i can and yeah, yeah i'm not always yeah. successful yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i just try to edit more of it in that's what i do um, thank you so much, Josh. We we appreciate your uh, your all of the stuff you do. You talk to us, you comment, and all that stuff. So we we appreciate 
We appreciate all that. Yeah, and uh, one shout-out I'll give is, hey, if you guys listening aren't there donating to Patreon and giving these guys a little bit of extra for their time, I greatly appreciate you all joining in. I personally donate, I think, just a little bit to help them put the podcast out and make it a better production and get us more episodes. I Get out there and help out. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much, Josh. <laughs> it, was, it was really nice uh, not only talking to you, but we really appreciate that. And the support does mean a lot. Thank you. We will, uh, we will have you on the show again sometime soon. Uh, and uh, I think for now, let's get back to the show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. James, uh, we've had a great time here tonight, and thank you all for joining us at home. We would like to send an especial shout-out to our Patreon... Patrons. Our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to everyone who has been contributing. Stuart Peskin... Stewcat. Is that, is that Stewcat? Yeah, the stew driver. Stuart... Thank you so much. That is so nice of you. Amazing. It took us by surprise. We really, really appreciate it. We are a martyr for our love for Stu. Oh, that's right. Yes. We would also like to thank our other Patreon patrons, Joe Shaken, uh, or Josh Aiken, Brett Garski, and uh, Luke Sinclair, uh, Tam Davis, Kate McCoy, Yvette Wilkins, uh, Brenda Engelhart. So many of you, thank you. If you haven't visited our Patreon page yet, you can do that and donate to the show. You know, we want to keep this show free and never you know charge you for anything but if you feel like you can kick us a few bucks to help keep the lights on and well this would be a great way to do it yes so you can head to patreon.com slash third men podcast if you want to donate and thank you again to everybody who has and everybody who has sent us donations outside of patreon to paypal and things it's really appreciated thank you indeed and we have a little something uh coming up for any patrons we have a a little gift that we're working on. I've seen it. Yeah, the artwork's done. It looks good. And so we're gonna we're gonna try and get that out to our patrons. Thank you all for your show of support. If you would like to find us on the internet, you could do so in a number of ways. One of those is Facebook, and you could find us on facebook.com slash thirdmen. You can find us on Twitter, that's at thirdmencast on there. You could tumble with us on Tumblr, uh, that's thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can press our words at WordPress. The thirdmen.wordpress.com is the site you can find there. You can email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us listener questions. If you ask it, we will answer it. You could also send us any mistakes that we made. Feel free to point out anything that we got wrong, and we will mention it in a segment we do at the top of the show called Stop Breaking Down if we got any of those. So feel free to email us there. Thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com is the email. You could find our show on Pippa. That's the place that hosts it. We love Pippa. They've gotten us on Spotify and they've helped with our analytics a great deal. And Paul, I believe our show's just surpassed 100,000 downloads. So uh, Yeah, the Kaminsky family of podcasts, uh, including the new show Now Hear This by myself and Ryan Brady, have um, cumulatively now, yeah, since we've joined Pippa a year and a half ago, we're, we broached six download figures. Really, Crazy. really. Crazy. Great. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Uh, and so you could, uh, you could find us there on Pippa. Just search The Third Men on Pippa. If you're looking to start a podcast, you know, Pippa's a great place to go. I love them, romantically. Anyway, you can search us on YouTube. 
where I post occasionally some visualizers and animations. That's youtube.com slash C slash the third men podcast. Or you can just type in the third men podcast on YouTube and you'll find us there. And please remember to rate review and subscribe on whatever your podcatcher of choice is, whether it be Apple podcasts or Google podcasts or what, what have you, all of them help us out and push us to, uh, to, to some new listeners, and uh, I think uh, we're, we're getting a, a little bit of a bump from from listeners uh, to the Striped podcast, which is kind of nice, because I think we're the number one in the people also subscribe to <laughs> section there, which is really, You're you know, it's, it's, it's nice. It gives me yeah. a little bit of, you know, good Other feeling. freaks like you listen to... <laughs> you want to listen to these jerks? All right. Um, I think this is just an audio birthday card. Okay. What is this? <laughs> Please remember to, to do that rate review. If you rate us five stars and leave a, oh man, what did we say? A pun? Yeah. If you leave a pun, James will draw you a picture of a sailing vessel. Yeah. If you leave a pun in the review with five stars and uh, email that pun to us, I will draw you a picture uh, of a sailing vessel I like to call the <laughs> listener ship, and I will mail that out to you along with some other podcast goodies. So please do that if you can. And uh, we have a baby coming in for a changing, oh. so I've got I've to hurry up. Thank you, Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti, for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the wonderful intros and outros of our program. And Paul, I think that's going to do it. I'll be looking for a home in baby poop. Help me, stranger. I will be looking for a home in a Donovan song that I hope Jack White covers another one that didn't really make any sense. Anyway, good night. We're the third man. Elephant man. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. <laughs> we'll, we'll bleep that so that oh, yeah, yeah. Well, no one will know there's about no fraud that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, no insurance fraud with um and watched the bake off and went to bed early that sounds like the 30th birthday if i ever heard one yeah very very chill chill vibes <laughs> hey thank you um yeah can you i like that you're calling yourself the p-man now that's good yeah, don't believe the hype because <laughs> it's just it's just Mike. You can believe the mic. <laughs> oh, some weird burps. Um can't, can't stop. And the sound of his <laughs> gums and lips <laughs> are definitely being captured through the mic. Um and I'm getting a full earload of that. How much are you willing to buy? <laughs> I, I didn't want to send it because it was like a mean Kona bark. It was like an I'm going to kill you Kona bark because it was at the mailman. <laughs> Why are you... We got to keep this energy Stop up. lifting your head and making yourself uncomfortable. I'm like Jack. You got to support my neck. <laughs> Nariz cachetes. Nariz cachetes. Nariz cachetes.
Yes, you should go to bed, and uh, we can keep this recording energy up before the vodka cranberry that I'm having is started to affect my slurs. Drinking vodka with diet cranberry juice? Yeah, it's very healthy very good. <laughs> it's very aspartame it sounds gross. Uh, saying now that there's a fire in the kitchen. <laughs> oh, there's that vodka cranberry. Why did it do any of this? Why? What's happening here? Sorry, I'm, I'm surprised the Skype is actually working. <laughs> I know, it's a miracle. He said jinxing the whole thing. It's a... It, you're... You're... Now, I've been opting for the cold sting of reality, looking forward to what is sure to be my inevitable murder. Oh. Uh... Yeah. Not necessarily, like, I think the lead singer will be angry with me. Lord knows Brendan Benson uh, knows that all too well with me putting my camera right in his face <laughs> during the show that we were at long ago when he was very drunk. Now, the thinking person's Jack White, White group might have wanted to keep this cloistered off this uh, should, we, should we tell the world or not what we think. I think we should. Uh- Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on it can be as much or as little as you can swing and all donations are greatly appreciated the last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough but if you would like to help us out that would be amazing all right it's all from me remember you can head to patreon.com slash third men podcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already all right everybody i'll see you on the show